and welcome to episode 127 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode of the show is the E3 2016 Mega Mix. The dust has kind of settled from the big show that was E3, which gave us a nice chance to, I guess, reflect back on what the show was without getting too caught up in the hype. So now here we are a week later, and surprisingly, Nintendo actually had a fair amount we're talking about E3. Yeah, it's funny for what felt like was going to be like a very small presence still ended up being a pretty significant yeah, one. Yeah, like it w- I don't think it matches their peak E3, which I would argue was like the Wii in 2006 when they like had a ton of games and dominated it. And I don't think it matched last year where just the sheer quantity of games. Like, I mean, it was Star Fox, it was Mario Maker, it was Triforce Heroes. It wasn't anything big, but there's a lot. Like, it doesn't match either of those, but like we got a handful of games. We got the really awesome Zelda booth. So this episode, I guess we're going to discuss everything there is to know about uh, about Zelda Breath of the Wild and sharing our hands-on impressions of the game. I got a chance to play it. And then we'll talk about some of the other Nintendo news and games that were announced before wrapping things up pretty nicely with the in-depth impressions of the surprise release from E3, which was uh, Rhythm Heaven Megamix, hence the episode title. Yes. Yeah, so first, however, I feel like there's E3 itself. So I... This is my second year going to E3. Um, it was my first year being able to attend all three days of E3, the entire convention. And it's, like, it's a really cool experience. I'm going to be honest, it's a really cool experience. Like, in in many ways, as someone oh, who goes... to rub it in. Well, no, no, no. But, like, I just going to talk about what it's like for us. But I was going to say, like, for both of us, we have the privilege of being able to go to Comic-Con every single year. And Comic-Con's also a giant spectacle. with a really cool experience. So I feel like we don't have some of the oomph of E3 to, like... You know, when we were kids and we'd read about E3, we'd be like, oh, it's like a sensory overload. And there's like, p- p- like pulse-pounding music. There's like crazy bass everywhere and like all these lights and stuff. And it's kind of true, but I feel like we've been spoiled by Comic-Con a little. So it's not quite as chaotic as – it is very chaotic and crazy, but it's not in a – like we're used to it almost. Like I have like a shield up somehow. Like it's not yeah, as I know, crazy. I know what you mean. It's – um, yeah, like I remember last year. I forgot exactly what it was, but like our – one of our friends that – for the Last year was their first time going to Comic Con, and they were pointing out stuff to me that like they thought I might be interested in. But then I just, but I remember half the time I was like, like, oh, they did something like that last year, but it was bigger. Like, oh, yeah. oh we saw that last year. Oh, we saw that last year. It's like I, I'm like there was a lot of callous. Them. I don't have a callous torture, but like it's definitely like a step removed. But that said, the thing that's cool about E3 and even Comic Con for other industries is like there's definitely like this feeling of being like in something, like some sort of industry communal thing like everywhere i turn there's a familiar face like i saw jeff Keeley at one point i saw nintendo people of note like every few minutes practically and on the second day for example i managed to see um or well to back it up a little i was sitting i was eating a sandwich and then out of nowhere literally i look up for my sandwich and there is the global president of nintendo tatsumi kimishima just kind of walking towards me by himself and i was like well i'm not gonna pass up this opportunity so i ended up and, you know, saying hello and telling him I'm looking forward to the NX and whatever they're revealing and best of luck in the new position as president and yada, yada, yada. And he seemed appreciative. But it's like that's something that will not happen anywhere but E3, really. Or like on day three, like randomly running into Reggie, as in the Reggie Fizme of Nintendo, in a stairwell. Just me and him in a stairwell and being like, well, I'm going to have to get a photo with you now and then getting a photo with him. Like that's that's where E3, I think, even if you're kind of used to this idea of big flashy expos, that's where it really... Is like that extra step is there's you're in this epicenter of gaming and all the people you associate with gaming, IGN writers, Sony bigwigs, Nintendo bigwigs, celebrities. I mean, I saw LeVar Burton playing Zelda. Like just like it's like this weird epicenter of reading Rainbow and Star Trek. Yes, that oh. guy. Um, like it's just 
it's yeah it's just, it's just cool now on top of that there's always weird experiences that don't really make sense but are for some reason a3 anyway like you know doritos built a six-story tall arcade machine and had steve aoki and empire of the sun perform inside it or walk past samsung's booth and there's lil wayne in the middle of the booth just doing a concert in the booth not on stage in the booth She's like, what is, what is this? And then the booths themselves are really cool, too. Like, 2K Games built a fake street from New Orleans completely from Mafia 3 because it's set in a fake New Orleans. Or, like, obviously Zelda had the crazy booth, which we'll talk about in a minute. But even just, like, walking around Sony and Xbox, it's just an ocean of screens, big and small, and demos. And it's, it's, it's an experience. Like, it is a bit... After saying I didn't, it wasn't true sensory overload. Now that I've, I've said all this and look back, it kind of was true sensory overload. Like wherever you look, there's like things happening or games being played, like a guy running around with a move controller with a big glowing ball on the end. Like it's just there's just a lot going on. Um, of course, one thing I didn't mention yet is the games, which are of course the crucial part, which is what we're going to talk about this episode. But if anyone's curious about all the stuff I just described, the things you see, the people you meet, all that. Um, we do have a gallery up at the site at ramtown.com. It's called E3 Extra, or sorry, R- Extra Inside E3 2016. And it has everything from, you know, encounters with Miyamoto and Anuma and E.G. Anuma, producer of Zelda, to a rainbow of Xbox controllers to all the new Amiibo that Nintendo announced that we'll also be talking about. So it's, it's, it's good if you want, like, a taste of E3. There's over 60 photos. So go check that out. And now the games, of course. Um, that, I feel like the games, because last year... So I went last year, as we know, and it was I went for a day, and it was like okay, Nintendo had a amount, an amount of games, but they weren't particularly crowded. I was able to pretty much play everything I wanted to play. I didn't wait more than half an hour for a game, maybe. But what I realized this year, because everything seemed way more hyped, and like Zelda wasn't closed in its own box that you had to stand in line for, it, like that's why you need to go all three days. It's not because like oh man, I need to play fifty five games. It's like no, if there's like six games you want to play, you need three days just to stand in line for those six games. So, like, I did get to try PlayStation VR, which is actually pretty cool. I played, I played Battlezone, which is a um, it's a sit-down game where you have a normal DualShock, but the DualShock's digitally recreated in the game, and you're inside a virtual cockpit, and you're playing, like, Tron tanks, basically. And it, it's really fun. And and your head, wherever you look with your head, you know, there's a world there because you're in this cockpit in the PlayStation VR. And I did try some Xbox stuff. I was pleasantly surprised by... Uh, the new Forza Horizons 3, which, like, I knew Forza was, like, a simulation. I didn't realize Horizons was so arcadey. I love arcadey racers, and, like, I I don't know if they were running the new Xbox One S, like, HDR graphics on that or what, but that game looked, like, really good and vibrant, and, like, the graphics really pop more than most games I've ever seen. But then, of course, there's Zelda. And, like I said, the reason you go E3 for three days is because of the lines, and the game that best emphasizes the lines is Zelda Breath of the Wild, which, um, at its worst, the line for Zelda was five hours long. The second day I went to E3, so that Wednesday, I walked in, I was in the door at 10.06, or no, I was, let me rephrase, I was at Nintendo's booth at 10.06, and they were already saying we capped the line. Within six minutes of the doors opening, they had to cap the line. Day three, I didn't even try. Jeez, that's pretty bad. That's almost as... Yeah. That's almost as long as a friend I had to wait last year to get a toy at Comic-Con, and we still couldn't even get it, even after mm-hmm. they made us wait that long. Yeah, it, it was five hours. At least you got I, to play I only had to wait three hours because I got to play it the first day. I was somewhat strategic. And, like, the one thing I need to do at E3 is Zelda. Let's just do that first and however long it takes it takes. But then day three, I didn't even try to play Zelda. I just heard from other people at Nintendo's booth, like, if we were all standing by the Treehouse Live set and watching that. Like, in talking with one of them, they said, yeah, they capped the line in 90 seconds. So the show floor opens. There's that mad rush. Polygon posted a video of the mad rush. 
And then 90 seconds later, they're like, yeah, we're done with Zelda for today. There was a line mm-hmm. to get in line. Like, there's a standby line in terms of, like, we're not, take, make, we're not accepting so anyone. So when you mean but kept the line, do you mean, like, we're going to kept the line for a few hours and, until it clears up a little bit? Or do you that's just what mean they, that's how long the show floor is going to be open to based on how long the demo is? So no, it means they're going to cap it so no one can go in for a while. But they never guaranteed that you would then be able to play. So what happened was people would, like, they'd be like, okay, this is the end of the line. This is all we're accepting. So we're, we won't tell we're you start if we're the waiting line, basically? There was a waiting line, and Nintendo didn't sanction it. People were just like, I'm just going to wait over here. And Nintendo's like, mm, okay, like, it's not our line. But if, pe- if other people respect you standing there, sure, you can funnel in if we give you the opportunity. But it's just like – like the, the fact there's a line for a line for Zelda was kind of nuts. Or And then they separately had a line just to view Zelda. So the booth was completely enclosed. Like it was in a box. It was like a warehouse basically. Nintel built a warehouse in the middle of the show floor. And the line got you in. There's the playing line and the demo and the viewing line, and the line got you into the box. So you could wait three hours or five hours, like I waited three hours to get into play, or you can go on a line that in and of itself was like twenty minutes long, twenty five minutes long, just to walk in to watch other people play. So basically Nintendo had was the talk of the show because everyone's complaining about the line being like, it must be good if there's even a line just to watch the thing. Like, they had two openings, three openings in the booth that are about the size of a doorway just so people could get out. But you couldn't actually see anything looking in. So if you wanted to see Zelda at all, you go stand in line. It was very smart because it made it look very hyped. And, the, and I mean, to Nintendo's credit, once you went in, it was, it was straight up a theme park. Like, you go in, they send you in in groups of 20 players. You go in, you enter a theater that resembles the shrine that Link is, like, birthed out of at the or rebirthed out wakes up in after you know at the start of the trailer and you're in there and it looks just like it and then the, they have a screen for a, a wall for a screen for a wall in front of you and then there's this lady whose whole job was you guys ready to check out zelda check this out check out this trailer it's great that's like literally she just said that over and over again or like you'll love this trailer and then they play the trailer it's an extended cut of what we saw online that morning you know at in the um treehouse live about okay. three minutes long and then here's what gets theme parky the lights sync up to the trailer in the theater, first of all. And then the wall rises up because the screen wall rises up. And then suddenly the screen is actually the door. And you literally see like a rising animation on screen as it rises. And then, oh, look, here's the exit, just like in the video game, out of the shrine. And you walk out and you're in essentially Hyrule. Like they built Hyrule in the booth. They had like grass textured carpet. They brought in real grass that they like padded all these life-size statues of Link and the Guardian and... Uh, Boboklins or Boboklins or however you say those enemies. Bokoblin? No, it's B O B O K L I N. So I think it's Boboklins. Whatever. They had like a life size <laughs> one of those on top of a tower. They had another one guarding a hunk of meat. They had full life size treasure chests that you could not open but looked like you could. They had barrels. They had crates. They had ruins. It was all to scale. According to Nintendo, uh, the tower I spoke to, it was all fully to scale with what would be in the game. And they had weather effects. Like, the booth changed lighting, and there's like, sound effects of birds and thunder and lightning, and it was insane. Like, it was so, so cool. And then the, and then how it worked is when Sounds you, wild. It it was Breath of the Wild, in fact. No, but when you... Um, it is Bokoblin. Yeah, uh, Bokoblin. Yeah. But it's spelled with B-O-B-O. Oh, um, right here it's um, B-K-O-B-L-I-N. Wait, let me see that. Um, Good riveting podcasting right here. Why are you waiting? You just keep talking. I, I think... Oh, it's loading? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so um, so how it works is so you, you play and you get ushered into this thing and there's photo ops galore. Oh, there's even a little food thing. If you stand on a special piece of grass on the carpet, 
there is a food pot that will actually came to life with animatronics and bounced around just like in the game when Link cooks. The only thing that was missing was Link doing his own <laughs> like in the trailer. But um, yeah, the booth was insane. Like it is the coolest Nintendo booth I've ever seen at any event I've ever been to. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Oh, right, it is Bacoblin. I just misremembered. But yeah, so Bacoblins were everywhere, everywhere. And then how it worked is um, it was very like streamlined. So if you were in line to play, they immediately you walk in and they have demos lined up for you ready to go they had 140 screens 140 demos running and they did in groups twice they'd be like go down this aisle there are 20 demos just waiting for you and you just walk up and then you get to spend 35 minutes with zelda so i got to spend 35 minutes with zelda which was great because like most demos a3 are 10 minutes so spending that much time there's actually two demos there's one open world where you get to just run around they don't tell you how to play they just plop you down and say go and then after 15 minutes of that it transitioned, or 20 minutes of that, it transitions into the remaining time of a second demo, which is the very start of the game, the story from the very beginning as far as you can get until time runs out. Hmm. So it's pretty cool. And, like, we, we like, to sure transition into Zelda itself, we've known Breath of the Wild was going to be, like, this larger open world, is going to shake up some Zelda conventions. That's been kind of a known thing since the Game Awards when they showed it as, like, a surprise at the end back in, what, 2014? But I don't think anyone necessarily thought it would do it in such a way that also harkens back to the very first Zelda and also, like, integrates so many modern gameplay concepts that aren't Zelda but work with Zelda. Like, there are so many little things. I'm like, oh, that's Metal Gear Solid right there. That's, like, Witcher 3 over there. Like, it all just kind of blends. And it's really cool because, like, the basic idea is they took the open world concept and really ramped it. You could do whatever you want. You could do it however you want. You could do it whenever you want. And then... That's what the original NES Zelda was, and then they brought in the other gameplay concepts that I was saying, and then you get this weird blended SSX. experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole uh, trick system, just like in Tony Hawk. Um, in fact, Tony Hawk, fun story, is in one of the Bacoblin encampments, just, just waiting to do tricks. No, there, but there is actually shield surfing, which is a lot like Tony Hawk. Yeah, that that, I didn't think of that until after you said <laughs> it. Yeah, um, not just thing random things randomly. I thought you might have been. Not all the time. But but yeah, the, the, the big thing that I noticed is you're not really guided by hand like you are in more recent Zeldas. You're free to explore. You need to collect food now. You need to snatch weapons from um, enemies. Uh, you need to be mindful of what Link's health is and cre- prepare food for that. You have to be mindful of how long your weapon lasts. Like it's, uh, There's little things like even Link's temperature you have to pay attention to because if it gets too cold or too hot, he'll lose health and die, which I think is Nintendo's way of putting artificial walls from preventing you from doing certain parts of the game too early because you need to go get the right thing. Makes sense. Uh, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a more natural like, oh, way I of doing it. I can't get through this part because I'll die. I need a bigger thing. Yeah. Like, it's a much more natural way of doing it than, like, the invisible walls that you would see. Oh, in yeah, Zelda. Or, like, in the old Zelda, it's just like, there's a sheer rock cliff and you can't go up it. Oh, now that cliff is gone because we traveled seven years in the future or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's like, like in uh, Metroid Prime where you need the virus various suit to go to the mm-hmm. super molten place even though i think some people still figured out ways to get through it just power through it yeah yeah basically yeah it's basically like they took the the metroidvania styling and sort of inserted into this open world yeah, Zelda. Like, again the idea that they're blending all these gameplays ideas into a yeah, Zelda game. like i'm sure they've probably even put away in so that someone clever enough for that bothers to explore enough can probably get through that section without um some stuff that you would normally use to get to that place easily. Yeah. Well, you're able to do that. They've said that you'd be no, able to do yeah. that. Yeah. So, so you could probably do an underrun of the whole game. You can dare. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, <laughs> you literally can. Um, yeah. I think Anuma sent some interview or something that um, technically you can beat the whole game 
without finishing the story. Technically, you could beat the whole game. You could go to the end from the start without the middle. Like, it, it's difficult, but it's doable. The entire game's open. And that's kind of what's cool about it. Is like, it still felt like Zelda when I was playing it, but it was definitely, like, all these ideas, nothing we're saying is new to gaming. There's nothing here that has never been done before, but the way they integrated it into Zelda made it feel so fresh as a Zelda, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so was, I mean... There was something interesting that I... I don't know, I just noticed that I'm pretty sure, like, you experienced, maybe. Yeah. Um, in one of the demos that I watched, they, I mean, just entered, like, it wasn't even, like, a hidden cave. He was just, um... The shrine, right? He, no. He was just finding some bokoblins, like, near a meadow, and then there was just, like, a little opening in the cave. And it didn't even go in that deep, but there was literally just a treasure chest in the middle of the floor. And he just opened it. There was, like, no fanfare, but it was, like, oh, it's the fire wand. And yeah. he just started, like, shooting fire at everything. And normally, like, you would expect you get that whole, like, and yeah. then, like, wall of text, wall of text. It's just like, it's nope, you have it, go yeah, use it. It's like, so well. well, yeah, that's that's the whole no hand-holding thing I was saying. Like, it's not like, no, yeah, that's like it was, yeah, it was it's, it's refreshing. <laughs> it kind of made, um, I mean, I guess I could see it making, like, important or powerful items seem, like, less special when you get them. But at the same time, it does make um, more of a surprise when you get them. Because I presumably, I'm going to sum out the treasure chest, they're going to look the same so that you don't know. Like, so, every, well, there's a yeah. whole secondary system of items that Nintendo isn't really touching on, but it's for sure there because we have seen it in Trias Live. I saw it when I played it. The Sheikah Slate. That mm. slate thing and those hologram items that are like generated by it, like that whole tech angle of the game. So that, I think, are like the more traditional Zelda items where you need certain ones to do certain dungeons because you have stuff like... Well, you get them right off the bat. I used them in the demo. They're now bombs that have unlimited ammo. You can render them at any time, and you can remotely detonate them. There are two, and they're both like these hologram-looking blue things. One is round, one is square. They're both powered by the Sheikah Slate. But like those, I could see being a little more useful in a dungeon, a little more like the traditional item. They don't really teach you that either. But then there's some crazy stuff like the magnet, where like you can render a magnet, and this magnet can lift up and move things from far away. Like there's actually in the Treehouse live stream. I don't know if you saw us, but um. Chico, one Nintendo staffers, who was like the one that was just blowing everything, or she was just like saying everything on fire. She was like on a warpath. Like other Nintendo reps were really like, "Stop! That's not how we want." Like they're like, "Why are you doing it that way? You should do it this way." And she's like, "No, I'm just gonna kill things and then be like, haha and like burn things alive." She fought a boss. She had the axe. She instead of using the axe in her hand as Link, she threw the axe at the boss, grabbed her magnet item, picked up the axe with the magnet, and then from like a little ways away from the boss, was swinging the axe into the boss so she could be a safe distance while still doing it. That item, and all the Sheikah Slate items, like the ability to stop things, in, like freeze things in time, those I think are more the ones we're going to see in the really dungeon. Cool. Sounds like something yeah. that you would joking say, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? Yeah. But... The, the tech thing's actually really interesting. Like, you're in this ruined world, but there's this whole tech angle. Like, it's like total dismay everywhere, and, every, and like everything's broken down, and you meet this old man in the demo who's just like, yeah, this used to be something a hundred years ago, but then out of nowhere you have all this like high tech. Se- it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. It's just like old and new. Like it's it's kind of cool. It's all, it's as close as we're gonna get to like a steampunk Zelda probably. But it reminds me of um in Skyward Sword there was a there was a world that was like it was like, the desert was like all in ruin and you would have to carry some time orb. Yeah, and everywhere you would go like everything was all high tech, but it was just. Yeah. It's from the same director, so it makes so it's sense. Like stuff in the past is more high-tech than stuff in the present. Yeah, yeah. Like, basically, you're in a post-apocalyptic Hyrule. Well, I mean, they're all supposed to be in the same timeline, I guess. Makes well, sense. there's three timelines, sort of. But what's interesting, I feel like this is a whole thing it's we do on a different episode. Yeah, this is a thing we do on a totally different episode. What's interesting about uh, 
Breath of the Wild is it seems to combine multiple timelines. You have the bridge of you have the uh, bridge of Elden from Twilight Princess. You have something I saw it in the demo. People point out online off in the distance by the mountains, like way off. There's something in the sky that is either a Twilight Zone or a Twilight Princess Twilight point, like where the Emmys drop out of, or it's the Skyloft. It's Skyloft from Skyward Sword. It's the right shape to be either of them. It's way off in the distance. Like there are little. There's the Temple of Time in the demo. You can see it. I tried to go to it at one point in the demo. I never. I didn't get far enough in time, but. Like, they are cherry-picking different things from different zones and kind of putting them all in one game. So I wonder if this is, like, the timelines converge. Huh, like a mega mix of sorts. Yes, like Rhythm Heaven, which we'll talk about later. But um, but I did want to talk a bit more about Zelda because there's, there's just so much to say, like, from the down. Like, so, like, I mentioned I had the opportunity to spend, what, what did I say, 35 minutes? 35 minutes with Zelda. And it was two demos. So that first one was me just walking around the Great Plateau. I had no real... No real objectives they just drop you there and say play so i played and in those 15 minutes i kind of just ran amok i um tried hunting i bought some uh bacoblins why can't i talk and uh and i tried to go one of the shrines there's a hundred shrines in the game that's where the puzzle elements you were you're like oh the big fan for it the long i am i was saying that's probably what uh those sheikah slay items are for those are useful in the shrines but i could not figure out how to get into the shrine like i was in its lobby but it was all gated off. And I was like, is Nintendo gating this because it's a demo? Or do I just not know how to unlock it? I don't know how the Sheikah Slate works. Nintendo didn't explain it. They just put me in the demo. I'm just going to let it be. So I left and I started walking to the Temple of Time. And I didn't make it because I wasted too much time in the shrine. But anyway, that's just what I did in 15 minutes. But what I thought was kind of interesting, and you sort of alluded to this when you were like, I don't know if you saw like some people went in a cave or whatever. I went back into Nintendo's booth four times the rest of the show. Like I waited in the little like viewing only line. And I, w- I went in four times. And once you're in, you can stay as long as you want. And I just stood in there for a while and like watched different people play Zelda. I did not see in the open world demo anyone do the same thing twice. Like the exact same thing. There's always some weird variation. Someone had the fire rod instead of using a sword. Someone had used the bow and arrow. Someone was like trying to scale one of the cliffs because you could actually climb any cliff you can see you can climb to. So they were actually trying, although their stamina wasn't good enough, so they kept falling and dying. But I saw that. I saw... Um, Another person who literally just made it his job to go kill all the Baboklin encampments, which is actually a really cool thing in the game is like, instead of just enemies one off wandering around or, or just like kind of being like, here's a spawn point of five enemies. They have like encampments and you can actually go to these encampments and like either from afar or up close, kill them. You can like push a boulder on them. You can shoot a bow and arrow at them, or you can stealthily sneak in, take their food and items and sneak out and they won't even notice you if you're good about it. That's the Metal Gear thing I was referencing already. They have a little question mark above their head if they sense something. It's very Wind Waker-esque, but kind of like stepped up a notch. And that was, like as a Wind Waker fan, that's my favorite Zelda. That was a super cool element. But like I saw someone do that. I saw someone else just try and do it. I didn't go to Temple of Time. They also didn't make it. But like there's just so much different, so many different so approaches. So, I guess I did. Temple of Time, yeah. But, but but then there's even stuff like if you've seen online, like Game Explain had that video where they basically played baseball with a Bavoklin. Or, yeah, the cobbling there we go why do i why can't i say that but they had a, like they just like basically play baseball like you can do anything like it was cool to see that much variety and the great plateau is apparently only one percent of the entire game map and the great plateau from what i saw d3 was huge so in all according to a new mind in an interview with ign um the full game is supposed to be 12 times bigger the full game map is supposed to be 12 times bigger than the one in um twilight princess and some site called Eggplant, that's its name, actually looked at the fully zoomed out map that Nintendo showed in the Treehouse Live a couple times. 
and they found they did some number crunching based on what they saw on the map, and they determined with a pinch of speculation that um, the game itself is basically only slightly smaller than, or the game map is only slightly smaller than Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is known for having a huge map. So, so after all that, it's still not their biggest. It's not necessarily their biggest, but it's fitting that they compared it to Xenoblade Chronicles X because Game Informer Miyamoto told Game Informer in an interview that Xenoblade's developer Monolith is actually helping make the new Zelda. Hmm. So between Monolith and Nintendo's own internal staff, there are over 100 people working on Breath of the Wild, which is one of their biggest projects ever. And Anuma is, of course, producing, and like I said earlier, the Skyward Sword director is directing this one too. A lot of decisions in this game for the openness are are responses to the knee-jerk reactions to how linear Skyward Sword was. Like, these are one-to-one reaction, like one-to-one flips of specific things. So it's kind of interesting. Um, now, of course, one concern that I know we talked about on the show back when they showed it at the Game Awards two years ago, and something that I had even after watching the trailer, was that because of the sheer size of this game, there's it feels like it could be kind of empty. Or like, what are you going to do as you walk around? Like, Is there stuff to do? Is it worth it? But when I played the open world demo, granted only 15 minutes, and granted it was a somewhat optimized experience for E3. So, so they for might those have, 15 minutes. No, but what I mean is like, for, like and, and Nintendo, of course, like tried to tailor it so it's the right 15 minutes to play. But um, I found that's not the case at all. Like, it did not feel too empty. It did not feel too crowded. Like I said, like the Bacoblins have those cool encampments you can invade. So because they're in groups now and like little tribes of them, so to speak, you obviously don't want them every single step you take. And you need wiggle room. Like if you want to do a stealth attack from far away, you need to have the ability to be far away and not to worry about another Bacoblin camp. Like it felt natural. It felt like the right size. And even in between the different things, you know, you have um, items to pick up everywhere. You need food because you need to cook food for Link. So I was picking up mushrooms and apples and things. You need um, weaponry. So like if you ever get in a fight with a Bacoblin and they shoot a bow and arrow at you, that one lone arrow will stay on the ground and you can come back later and collect your arrows and have ammo for the next thing. Like everything becomes an item you want to pick up. Everything becomes relevant in some way. So even if you're not finding an Emmy, even if you're just walking to the Temple of Time, um, there's stuff to do along the way. I just pick up things to climb, things to push, things to find. So it never really felt like it was totally empty. And that... That was like my biggest concern going into it. So I'm kind of happy that's not the case. And then another takeaway from my demo experience was that, um, and I kind of alluded to this by saying you need to pick things up. Stats really matter now. Like it's full RPG now. Like weapons have limited uses. So you got to be more strategic when you fight. You can't just go up and like, like remember in Twilight Princess? It's like a fire emblem? Kind of. It's not like to that extreme. But like remember in Twilight Princess how like everyone would joke like, oh yeah, I just like waggled the Wii remote and I did some attacks and moved on to the next enemy. Like you didn't even have to think about it. You just go like shake, shake, shake and you beat them. You can't really do that here. Well, first of all, there's no motion control for um, the sword. There is, however, and no one's reporting this, you can aim your bow and arrow in first person mode and your first person scope using the gyroscope on the gamepad. As it should be. As it should be, but nobody has bothered to say this. It's Pretty big deal, actually. It's there. Which makes me think whatever the NX controller is, and we'll, I have many theories about that, which I'll get to, but whatever the NX controller is, I suspect will also have a gyroscope. I mean, it's standard. Car, it's part for course Nintendo now, but it was kind of nice to see that the gamepad supported that. But anyway, um, yeah, so weapons and things, you need to be more strategic because they will break. Like, if you're, if you're fighting with a bow and arrow, you will run out of arrows, and your fight becomes less about, like, killing the, the, boat glint, the cobblin and more about 
getting arrows while dodging their attacks in order to then come back at them a second time. And your weapons break. I got one of their swords, which is basically a stick, and hit them with it, and the thing just snapped in two, and I'm like, great, I, I have no weapon anymore. So it's a lot... It's very, like, survival. It's like... Yeah, uh, it's not like you can, like, just run away from what's encountered. You can. Or, yeah. You can. You can run away. You can regroup. But they will chase you. The, the AI is smart. Like, they'll chase you. They'll... Like, if you aren't stealthy, which is where stealth comes back in, because you go hide behind something, and they'll kind of not know where you went and then give up. But they will chase you. They will regroup with others. If you have fire, they may run away, but then come back with their own fire. Or I've actually seen... I didn't see it when I played, but I saw someone else do it. Uh, they have a torch. One of the Bacoblins had a torch and actually lit the other Bacoblins' torch for him. Like, they met and, like, knocked torches, which sounds really sexual for some reason. <laughs> but, like, like it... Uh, yeah, no, it's like, it, the AI is really good. Or, or, like, they'll pick up and throw a rock at you and think, if they don't have a weapon, but they still want to fight you. Like, there's... It really feels like a living, breathing world, which kind of fits nicely with the whole idea of, like, the survival aspect of the game. So, so is it like Minecraft where if you're... I don't know if you're, I mean, do you have a hunger meter or? You don't have a hunger meter. So how the food works, and this is where it branches from normal Zelda, is the hearts are your hunger meter, essentially. You don't have to worry about food to be, like, for energy necessarily. But instead of collecting hearts, there are no hearts in the world, there are no rupees in the world. I know this because the first, the very first thing I did when I started Nemo, there's a patch of grass. I'm like, well, what do you do when you see grass in Zelda? You do a spin attack and you get the rupees. I did that and then no rupees came out. And I'm like, Yep, this is not a normal Zelda. <laughs> but but yeah, the hearts, instead of hearts, how it works is you make food. And if you have cooked food versus raw food, you get more health back. But the food will basically feed into your hearts. Okay. And then different... That elect- makes more sense. Yeah, and different concoctions you make. So different things you collect, different food you make, different ways you cook things together can give you not just more hearts, but maybe more heart containers or give you new abilities. For example, you can make elixirs that will make Link even stealthier. So when you click... How stealth works now, by the way, is when you click right the right uh, control stick, he goes into like a crouch mode and moves really slow, and they just move him around. But um, yeah, you can do that, and you can be stealthier with a certain elixir, or you can have him be more susceptible or less susceptible to hot temperatures. So he could go further in hot temperature without the right clothing, which is one way to circumvent that kind of invisible wall that Nintendo's putting up. But you need this item to pro- progress this way. So it really is open to whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, and that's kind of how yeah, that's how food works. Um, yeah, so the whole thing, uh-huh. yeah, I, I'm just trying to regroup here. Yeah, so the whole thing, I'm thinking why I haven't talked about because there's so much in this demo, and I guess the only thing left besides the gamepad itself is just how much it's a throwback. Like, did you see when they announced the game, the Japanese logo for Breath of the Wild? Yeah. It is the old original NES game's Japanese logo, but updated. Like, they ditched the usual Zelda shield. It's just straight up the old one. Or, like, obviously when he's on... It looks like the title screen of a Studio Ghibli movie. Mm-hmm. The music, too. That's something I didn't even think of touching on, but thank you for saying it. The soundtrack's totally not typical Zelda, but it's so good. Like, it's very ambient noise. Like, you're walking around, you just it's just ambient noise for the most part, but there are little, like, music cues throughout, and they kind of layer on themselves and stuff. It's 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 very nice. It's very Studio Ghibli, yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the whole game, I kind of touched on this, but it really does feel like Nintendo's like, going back to the first Zelda. Like, it's so... Because in the first Zelda, how it works is you start the game. For those who don't know, I don't know if you're out there. You start the game, it's just like, all right, go go to some dungeons. Here's the guy with some items. He's telling you it's dangerous to go alone, so you should probably take the items. But that, that there's, like, no prompts. There's no cues. There's no long-winded thing where it's, like, Navi waking you up and being like, hey, listen, go talk to... What's your name? Go get the sword from the forest. Now walk over to Princess Zelda's castle. Good, you're there. Oh, by the way, the Deku Tree needs you to do this thing. So guess what? Here's your first dungeon. It's just kind of here for you. Like, that whole structure, which has been what Zelda has been 
I want to say since the link to the past is gone. It is now right back where, or mostly gone. It's, it's a little there, but it's back basically where it was in the original Zelda. And this was most apparent to me when I played the other demo, which is the 20 minute story demo. So the 20 minute story demo starts with Link waking up in that strange chamber. He goes out of the chamber. He sees the plateau, the great plateau. Like it does that panoramic shot that looks like the artwork from the first Zelda where, you know, he's like crouched on the plateau uh-huh. and everything. And then you, that's it. Then you just start, it just gives you the game. It doesn't really tell you what to do. There's a voice telling you like Link, wake up, like actual voice acting telling you Link, wake up. They're using voice acting for a dramatic effect. Not every character talks. Case in point, you find an old man. He kind of looks like this dangerous go alone guy. He also kind of looks like the King of Hyrule from Wind Waker. I don't know who he is. But he's basically like, yeah, I have an axe. You can use it. And that's basically all he tells you. You know, it's funny. When I saw the trailer and the narration started, Yeah. Um, I didn't even notice that it was voice acting until like it was pointed out mm-hmm. later in the comments. So I'm like, wait, didn't it always have like... No, Zelda was notorious yeah. for not having voice acting. And actually, I Link guess will not just... talk still because yeah. he's still you. But yeah, they're going to use voice acting for like key parts. And I guess the dollar was always just well enough that your imagination could create a voice that you just... Um, yeah. Can molded or just assume it always did yeah but but yeah it's um yeah there wasn't like there wasn't really any inner like i talked to that guy and he gives me advice on where to go like he's like oh you may want to go over here there's this resurrection tower which you basically have come out of the ground and he's like oh maybe go do this quest for me over here but you can also just not do those things <laughs> like there's no it's not forced it's not like if you don't do it you won't progress they're just they're just actual holding, objective that you can yes, do it's like holding your hand to get your get you going in the game but it's not like twilight it's not like skyward sword where it's like literally this is your only path you can take like you were told you're going to the tree thing the tree dungeon now i forgot what it's called so you go there on your bird and that's it that's the end of it there's not that doesn't happen it's very you could just walk away in your boxer shorts and whatever that's it Hmm. so that reminded me a lot of the old zelda and it does have that kind of it's basically like they took the top down 2d zelda on nes made it 3d and just was like, here you go. <laughs> this is your game now. And I mean, there will be things in the final game that are different. Like I like I said earlier, Numa did tell Polygon that um, you could be the whole game without actually finishing the story or anything. So that's kind of the same. But they did say that in the demo, they took out people. They took out dungeon or not dungeon. They took out towns. And that will all be in the final game. Bill Trennan confirmed that. But they didn't want to spoil anything. For, so for the sake of the demo, it's very bare bones in terms of interactions. So it's possible there'll be a little more streamlining or, you know, or something like that, but who knows. Considering you said that the field didn't feel too empty or too full and they still yeah. omitted stuff, then I guess. Yeah, it's a good sign. Well, I mean, also it's 1% of the whole game world. So that 1% might not have felt too empty, but if you have to walk 99% more, assuming they copy paste that same 1%, you're going to want some changes in here. You're going to want some town in the middle. You're going to want something like that. So I imagine that'd be there. But this does all bring us to the last piece of the puzzle with Zelda, which is the gamepad. So contrary to what we saw at the Game Awards two years ago, um, it does nothing. I mean, it has the gyro controls, like I mentioned, but it does nothing in terms of maps, nothing in terms of menus. You aren't placing markers on the map on the gamepad anymore. You're doing it on the TV. You aren't selecting items on the gamepad. You're doing it on the TV. Didn't they do it on the gamepad? In yes. The... Now they do not. Huh. It's funny because when I was playing it, I didn't even think about it. Like I saw on the gamepad, all the gamepad showed was the controls. Like it was a screen of a picture of the controls. And then it said on the bottom press minus to go into off tv play and i'm like i don't need to do that that's all it does and it took me i didn't realize till about i want to say halfway through the first demo i was like wait a minute 
isn't the map supposed to be down here? And it turns out they decided to just take it out. So uh, Anuma, E.G. Anuma, the producer, is always speaking with Wired. And he said, and this is very telling about not just the philosophy of the Wii U and where it stands, but probably what, what's coming for NX. He said, we realized that having something on the gamepad and looking back and forth between the TV screen and gamepad actually disrupts the gameplay and the concentration what? that the game player may be experiencing. Here comes the best analogy. You have your car's GPS system on your dash. If you had in your lap, you're going to get into an accident. This is the guy that just put the GPS in your lap for both Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD. And now he's like, so we're thinking about it with, with, uh, with a bad Breath idea. of the Wild. And we're like, why would you do that? And I mean, I don't know if he's wrong. <laughs> I don't think he's wrong. Like when we, like I like Wind Waker's gamepad use for the quick access to items. I like Twilight Princess is used for the quick access to items. But when I was playing Breath of the Wild, it didn't even occur to me to look at the gamepad for the map. Like I said, it took me like seven minutes to realize there was no map on the gamepad because it's just sitting there in the corner of the screen perfectly there. Like, like there was every other open like every game other game on never systems, needed to exactly, have a second screen map. On systems that have sold 40, 60, 80 million cop, you know, million units that don't have this second screen. So that to me is very telling. That she said that, like, because not only that, but you can actually play all of Breath of the Wild with a pro controller as well. Like, there you go. The gamepad is not even required to play at all. So, to me, that's a pretty big confirmation that NX will probably not have a touchscreen after all. I remember all this time we've been talking about NX. We speculated about it for, what, a year and a half now? And we keep going, like, well, I mean, Zelda's on Wii both. Wii pro controller better be compatible with the NX? I doubt. I, well, I don't know. Maybe. Too many peripherals and controllers. And you're going to get so many more. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I was just going to say that, like, we always assumed the NX would have the second screen because of Zelda. Like, even before they made Zelda official on both, it was like, well, duh, it's going to be on both. No one's going to buy it on Wii U in 2017 or even tail end of 2016. Uh, but now it's like, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> maybe there isn't a screen because Zelda's not even using it anymore. Uh, and that does... There's also another thing that they kind of snuck into Zelda which the, immediately when I saw it, I was like, oh, this reminds me of something. And that is the quick change mechanic for weapons. So how it works is if you hit right on the D-pad for weapons, or I believe left on the D-pad for some sort of other set of options, and then use the right stick, you actually have a little horizontal scroll bar of like single items going by. Like you see about four at a time, and as you scroll, they cycle in and out above link. It's like a quick change. It's really nice. It actually feels really fluid. You know what's funny? That's exactly how it works in Monster Hunter because you normally have a ton of items. You have to hold down L. Mm-hmm. And then you just, I think with minus or Y, I forget which one, you just like toggle all the items and you just use it. And you'd think that'd be clunky, but it just works. But you see, there is exactly, uh, not you see, but you, you prove my point that this Zelda, nothing in it is actually totally never been done before. Sure, they have realistic physics where, like, you knock a boulder down, it can crush the, the encampment of enemies below you. Okay. Or a tree will fall and make a bridge. Okay. Like, and it does it in real physics. Other games have done that. The quick menu thing. Other games have done that. All they're doing is Zeldifying all these big game concepts, and they're doing it in a way that feels fresh. But that's beside my point. Uh, but, yes, they did borrow that from Monster Hunter, for sure. Like, I mean, Anuma even said in your interview, I don't remember which, but even said, like, we specifically had younger developers go look at other games for inspiration and ideas. Like, they, like Western games in particular. So this is definitely... <laughs> You're going to find the AK-47 on the... Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great when you just, like, mow him down as Link. Wait, and he'll turn to Duke Nukem and put on some sunglasses, grab a cigar, get really buff really fast, get that weird square fade haircut. It's going to be great. 
But um, but no, the quick the quick change mechanic. The reason I bring that up is so that's how it works on the Wii U, and it works pretty well. But then at, the first thing I realized when I was playing it is this reminds me of a Nintendo patent from last year because we had that whole in depth thing for a while. Where we were looking at patents like, oh, is this what the NX controller is? Is that what the NX controller is? And there's a patent filed in September of last year, or published, approved in September of last year for scroll wheel shoulder buttons. So the idea is Nintendo's like, what if your R and L buttons on the edges of your controller not just pressed in, but could also be kind of scrolled through. So you can use them to quickly navigate menus or items or or possibly like control a drift mechanic in a game or like, so you know, it's like anything. a button, but it's also on a conveyor belt? It's like a button with, yeah, I guess. It, it, it's, a, it's literally a wheel, but it can click in. Think of it like your mouse. It's like your mouse, it's, it's like a wheel. mouse scroll wheel, except instead of doing vertical scrolls, it's horizontal, left, right. Yeah. And then take that and go look at the animation for the quick change mechanic. In fact, if you really want, you can... Go to my Twitter where I have an animated GIF of this very animation along with a link to the patent at JSR7 because I was like, this is identical. And they line up so well that this is either the craziest co- coincidence ever or this is for sure going to be an NX feature. And the reason it's in this Breath of the Wild demo is because Breath of the Wild will also be on NX. So like, well, that's an NX control feature we can use and then we can retrofit onto the Wii U gamepad buttons. Yeah. I think that's the most concrete thing we've seen about the NX thus far is those scroll wheels. Because like I, there's no way it's a coincidence, right? Like it can't be. Uh-huh. It's a it's a cool mechanic. It could like, be. Like it's a neat thing. I I could like it could be cool and even like Mario and stuff. Like you can use it to control certain power ups where you have to like rev yourself up or something. Like get a running start, you like pull it back and then snap it forward. Yeah, that does seem like something they would do. Yep. Right. So it's uh, it's interesting, and there may be other NX def- differentiators. Mario also has done um, at least in past games that you're always able to carry like one extra power up. Maybe later they'll let you carry like three or four, so you could like scroll between them like Mario Brothers three. Yeah, oh, that's probably the simpler one than my rev up thing. And it's like, oh, which power up do you want? If they ever did a sequel to Pokemon Dash, that game on the DS, where you just scribble really fast just to make your Pokemon run, I could see like revving up with the scroll wheel being Pokemon the rev. mechanic. Pokemon Revolution. Yeah, but no, uh, the I think... The Wii game? What? Well, the, uh, the Battle Revolution. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it could be a hybrid of the two. I'm going nowhere with this. Um, but yeah, I think... I think um, So that might be the the one known so far kind of differentiator between the NX and Wii versions is that scroll wheel. But there's probably going to be other differences between the two versions, too. It was confirmed they're coming out simultaneously. And Anuma went on record with multiple outlets, multiple Mia sites, saying... Breath of the Wild will have the same, quote, experience on NX and Wii U. But experience doesn't equal everything being identical. Experience is like the overall, at least how I interpret it, the overall like vibe or the overall uh, gameplay offering. Well, I mean, it could also just mean like, oh, the NX version will just have better textures. Or just... Yeah, and that and and I think he worded it like that because then Reggie tried out on a, an iJustine video where he was interviewed by her, and she asked what's going to be different, and he said the difference is we'll show those off in the future. So to me, that sounds like exactly what you're saying. Texture updates, better graphics, maybe something that plays more into the NX feature set, kind of like how you could waggle in Twilight Princess Wii, but you hit the a button to do the sword in the GameCube one. Like, they've done similar things like that in the past. Like, gameplay-wise, content-wise, it's probably going to be one-to-one, but in terms of implementation of the content, I imagine there would be some differences. Hmm. But yeah, that that's kind of in a nutshell, Zelda. It, I... I <laughs> I went very in depth, but there's just, I feel like I'm not even covering it. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. Like, there's so much. Like, I didn't even talk about the dynamic weather and how you have to account for that. Like, for example, did you know? Did you know? What? There's a lightning storm that rolls through the Great Plateau while you're in it, 
and you're using a metal sword, you have a better chance of being electrocuted. Or if it's raining, Link will get colder faster, but also can't use fire because the fire will be put out by the rain. So it has to come up with other weapons to use if he has a fire mm. rod at that time. Like, it's very... Normal games would still let you do it anyway. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> the way you're saying that. What a revolution. No, but it's very, like, there's all these things we haven't talked about that's, like, it's just so cool. But but we did bring up... I did bring up NX. You brought... We talked about NX. So I feel like while we're talking about NX, it kind of had an interesting E3. For a system that wasn't supposed to be discussed at E3, it kind of had an interesting E3. Like, for one thing, Ubisoft announced the first official third-party NX game um, at its press conference, and that's Just Dance 2017. Now, technically, and I know someone out there is like, well, actually, that's incorrect. And that is true, because Square Enix was actually the first third-party game publisher to announce a game with the new Dragon Quest. But they immediately walk back that comment and pretend they never said it. So, as far as officially, like, yes, we are serious, we mean it, Just Dance 2017 is, in fact, the first third-party NX game. Uh, Yeah, good job, Just Dance. And they literally had to do a song and dance in order to announce it. They opened their press conference with the strangest. Did you watch any Ubisoft press conference? I did not watch any press conferences. They, that's interesting. I don't know how to feel about that. I'm impressed and also slightly concerned for your well-being because, like, the press conference is what E3 is all about. Did you watch Treehouse Live at all? Mm, only a tiny bit of some Mario Party stuff later. Uh, after the fact. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't really have any interest in watching anything live. Just yes, watch see the trailer after. Yeah, I just like kind of kept up with it on Twitter, see like if anything piqued my right. interest. Crash here, God of War over there. The you Crash know. thing strikes me as <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, like I don't know how to interpret the Crash news. So they were like, "We're gonna remaster Crash One, Two, and Three on PS4." Does that mean it's just gonna be upres, really polygonal Crash, or are they remastering no, they, it like they, Ratchet Clank style? No, yeah, they said they were gonna remaster it like, like Ratchet like, Clank from, style. Yeah, like from the ground up. Okay. They, oh, okay, then that's okay. Because I just saw which the is headline. Really cool, because. Crash 3 is definitely my favorite Crash game. Yeah, I, I just saw the headline, so no. I was like, oh, do they mean up-res? Or do they mean like... Yeah, it's completely yeah. redone. That's cool. That's actually really cool. That's a, I think that's a really big deal. Really it is. Big. It is. It's. I mean, they've been teasing it for so long. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, back to, back to Ubisoft and NX. The reason I feel like Just Dance is significant... Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, Just Dance is a motion-controlled game. There's no way to play Just Dance without any sort of motion control, be it a Kinect camera, a Wii remote. It's going to be with the NXI. Oh, are you? And and then please do tell about the NXI, and that's EYE, I assume. It's like the Kinect and PlayStation X that is built into the console, so you can't get rid of it or stop it, even if you so. The gamepad camera. Sure. <laughs> or I don't know. It could also be like an infrared thing. I don't or, think. I, don't I, I honestly don't think they're gonna do a camera. Kinect has completely flamed out. It's dead. Like, why would Nintendo dip their toes into that? red ocean so to speak yeah and they can't exactly put it on the con like as part of the console either because yeah. no well they one... could at the console oh well no well, no that's yeah. it because you can't they have to be separate you have to assume that people have a spot for it right in the center under or above your tv yeah which which doesn't work for many people yeah but um what was i gonna say yeah it's it's so i think motion control that's one thing that we could kind of infer about an x but it also implies just or answer. maybe just compatible with Wiimote. Then it just comes with Wiimote. Or Wiimote. But either it. way, that means the NX works with Wiimotes, which in and of itself is news. It also makes you wonder if the NX doesn't have a touch screen, because as Zelda implies, will Wii U not be backwards compatible? Will NX and Wii U not work together? Will you actually need both systems? Because obviously Wii went to Wii U and you could play both. And Wii had GameCube. So they've been doing back. Backwards compatibility. This will be it's the third be generation. Games that did not use the GamePad. Donkey Kong, <laughs> Smash 
So just Donkey Kong. Well, no, even Smash Brothers kind of does. They'd have to literally change the code of the game. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. Smash Bros? It mirrors things across. It has like the weird little battle screen. I know it doesn't use it in a meaningful way, but if that screen is on and rendering things, how does the NX, what's the NX do with that data? Does it just like shoot it into an abyss? I mean, it could. I guess it could. That just seems weird. Especially if they're remastering the game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, if they're remastering, then backwards compatibility isn't even a thing because they're just making it for NX at that point. They're upgrading it to NX. But, yeah. but yeah, but the the other thing just dance implies besides honestly, I would kind of yeah. it's kind of weird to say. I mean, I would kind of hope that it isn't backwards compatible. It's probably the first time I would ever say that about a Nintendo console. But it is this way, it will give me a reason to go back to the Wii U because it has such a short lifespan yeah. that it kind of it kind of sucks that I'm like, all right, there's still so many games on it that I want to play, but I don't want to necessarily like. Well, I guess I have to make more room for another console, but uh, here's why. Here's why I don't want it to be backwards compatible. Compatible. If it's backwards compatible, it's gonna be. It's gonna have to be hamstringed to some degree by the features of the Wii U, which obviously were not successful because oh, yeah. the Wii U didn't do it. So if the That's... second is backwards compatible, that means that touchscreen's back in. If the touchscreen's back in on the gamepad, that means they're in the same boat they are with Wii U. I want a clean break. No, oh, yeah. For Nintendo's sake. <laughs> it's definitely for the best. We don't yeah. want another Ice Climbers situation to happen. Exactly. With Yeah, where, like, it couldn't yeah. do it on 3DS. Yeah, like, so that clearly said, like, like, oh, on the 3DS, like, they're both, like, they're not hampering each other, and they clearly were. They clearly were. Which yeah. is why it's somewhat hopeful that with the Smash, if the rumors of a Smash Bros. port to NX happen, Ice Climbers could come in because there's no, yeah, that it's not hampered by anything. Yeah, just make those characters that were half-made or something. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of data for characters yeah. deep, uh, deep in there. But the other thing... About NX, that was kind of implied by Just Dance. Go back to that. This one I think is actually very significant. Is it looks like Nintendo's going casual friendly again. Not necessarily casual focus, but certainly casual friendly. And why I say that is because Ubisoft is literally saying that. Because you could argue, oh, Just Dance is, it's on Wii U. Wii U is not necessarily the most casual thing. They tried to have it be a mix of casual and core. It didn't really work. But Just Dance still is on there every year, so that's true. But in an interview with MCV, the European head of Ubisoft said, and I quote, this is about NX and Nintendo for the record, they're addressing the family market in a very different way, their own way, which we appreciate. We've done a lot of products and successes with Nintendo in the past. We believe the NX will recapture a lot of the lapsed Wii players. So when they release it, uh, so we will see when they release it, but we will be, we are confident. The key part of that is the NX is designed to go after the lapsed Wii players. That, to me, says everything about the NX. They are doing the Wii strategy round two. They tried going so back to the core. Another super crazy didn't control work. method? I don't know if it's another super crazy, like, weird thing. And is it fair to say that they tried to go back to the core? Yeah. I mean... It is, because here's what Wii was when they pitched it. Hey, Wii owners, here's an upgrade that's easy to use. It's like your tablet. It's like your iPad. You're going to love it, casual folk. We have Wii Fit. We have Wii Sports. We, well, they didn't have Wii Sports at the time. We have Wii Fit U. We have, you know, all these things you love. We have a new Mario. You love Mario Wii? Check out Mario Wii U. We're not going to change the name. We're just going to put U on the end. And then, simultaneously, hey, core gamers. This was this was back in E3 2011, I think. Hey, core gamers. We know you want Batman. We know you want Darksiders. We know you want this, that, and the next thing. Here they all are. And check it out. Our controller has more buttons, has two sticks, has all the things you expect from a dedicated game console, but also 
casuals, we didn't forget you because there's a big touch screen in the middle, just like your iPad. They were literally trying to do both. Problem was, it didn't appeal to either as a result in, in large quantities. Obviously, there were 12 million of them out there, 11 million of them out there. But that was their pitch from the start was it was going to be this hybrid thing. Didn't quite work. So now it looks like they're doubling back to the casuals and being like, hey, you guys are now blue ocean again because it's been so long since we turned you red. So come on in. And um, it seems like Ubisoft's expecting that. And then like Warner Brothers, um, the head of their games division, a guy named David Hadid, was telling GamesBeat that uh, they plan to support all upcoming systems, which Nintendo is named in the question, so that includes Nintendo. And again, that could mean anything, but WB and Nintendo, they're very close with the LEGO games primarily. So there's another more casual-facing franchise that'll probably be on NX. Again, it's also on Wii U. Maybe Injustice 2? That would be cool. That could be... Do- I mean, Injustice 1 made it to Wii U. Yeah. So if they make it a launch child for NX, I don't see why not. Because the launch period is really the window where you get to get the do-over and try your luck with the more mature tiles on Nintendo system. That's why so much of that launched alongside the Wii U. And even the Wii had red steel. So, like, the, there is a chance. And I don't think... I don't necessarily think them saying they're going more casual or focusing on casual or recapturing the Wii means we won't get core games. Obviously, it's launching with Zelda. The most, like, zelda e Zelda there's ever zelda so, like, I don't think we have to worry about it not appealing to us as Nintendo fans. I just don't think it's going to be, like, super core. They're going to do the they're gonna do the rigmarole with um, the casual focus. And I mean, perhaps the biggest sign of that is Reggie was saying in an interview with uh, Bloomberg during E3, like a video interview, that Nintendo doesn't care about specs, only content. The last time they said that was the Wii. So Wii U, they were talking about we're HD now, we're catching up. I mean, on one end, it's like, well, if you care about a game, then you definitely want all the best things you could possibly get onto your console. So to some extent, you kind of do have to care about specs. Yeah. And the last time he said that, again, was during the Wii era. Well, I mean, they say that to downplay the fact that it's not good. Because he was asked specifically about, uh, like, Project Scorpio, the new uh, 4K Xbox. He was asked about um, the upcoming upgraded PS4 that does 4K those like higher end consoles that are rapidly releasing now. And like even Xbox one S is doing that. Cause that's, that's coming out in two months and that's, it does it. It's 4k available, but not 4k games, but it does HDR games, which means more vibrant graphics and it has more processing power. So like they kind of went to Reggie and you're like, okay, so if these guys are doing this, what are you doing? He's like, well, we don't care about specs. We care about content. He even used the phrase red ocean to describe the market that Sony and X and uh, Microsoft are battling over with the Xbox and PlayStation. Again, this is straight out of the Wii playbook. It's as if the Wii U didn't happen in the way they're talking now. Like, I mean, this is the very beginning. We'll see if it actually pans out. But it feels like we're back in 2006 with some of these comments, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It, it sold $100 million for Nintendo. It was one of their most successful systems. It had the DS at the same time, which was their most successful system, $152 million. So, like, they, it, it's understandable why they're doing this. And whatever the new gimmick is with NX, we'll see. But in the case of Ubisoft, at least, I'm hoping... This close early relationship means good news for other franchises of theirs. Namely, I want Beyond Good and Evil 2. Because before E3, there are these rumors that Nintendo might be helping pay for development of Beyond Good and Evil 2 uh, in the same way they did, you know, like Platinum Games and Bayonetta or um, Devil's Third and whatever its developer was called. What was this developer? Valhalla? Is that Who knows? Right? Was it Valhalla? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I think it was Valhalla. But either way, um, those games, like Nintendo basically bought the exclusivity by saying we'll chip in for development. There's a rumor they're doing that for Beyond Good and Evil 2. We haven't heard anything about Beyond Good and Evil 2 since I think 2011 was the last time they showed footage. 
And then during the YouTube E3 live show, Jeff Keighley, the host, was interviewing the CEO of Ubisoft, just like, hey, where's Beyond Good and Evil 2? And he's like, oh, we're still working on it. Uh, the main guy, Michael Ansel, he's the creator. It has two games in the works right now, but one of them is Beyond Good and Evil 2, and it is coming. So if Ubisoft played by with Nintendo, but there's these rumors that my money had it, essentially, Beyond Good and Evil 2, and then the CEO of Ubisoft's like, yep, it's, it's definitely coming. I want these all to align, and they make for a great launch title on NX, I think. Although it might get it might get swallowed up by Zelda because they're kind of similar adventure games. Mm. But nonetheless, I want it to be real. I want to believe. That's that whole thing. It's like I don't want there to be too many good games on launch because then you're not gonna buy them all, and then some will bomb. Yeah, it's like we only have so much money. No one's gonna buy like six games. Well, there are rumors from like Emily Rogers and the like. You know, Twitter. Nintendo rumor extraordinaire Emily Rogers, who, by the way, people gave her such a hard time. So she predicted two out of three things about the new Zelda from her sources. She's been right about a bunch of other stuff. She didn't get Paper right. Mario? Yeah, she's right about Paper Mario. She did not get right the fact that there would be a. She said there'd be a female link and a male link. There's only a male link, which they did for reasons that take them or leave them. I don't know if I. They might have just been like, we don't care enough, but they're kind of like half reasons, but whatever. Although, interestingly, Anuma said to time. He's like, we try and make Link androgynous so it can be whatever gender you want. He's technically male, but we try and make him pretty. Well, neutral. I mean, considering like people were debating over whether the links on the lanyard yeah. were male or female, even though they're the exact same link. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't know. By the way, that lanyard's pretty cool. It's his creation. Let him do what he wants. Oh, not only is the lanyard cool, a bit of a side. When you play the demo of Zelda, you get a gold coin with the Sheikah Stone icon and the Zelda logo, and a shirt with the logo and the Sheikah Stone icon. So there's some E3 swag. It's going for $200 on eBay during E3. Just wait till Comic-Con. Two, I, uh, oh, you're probably right. They always do that. They That's also true. give out the lanyards every year. Well, no. Um, last, they did? Yeah, last year they had the Super Mario Maker lanyards at E3, and then they were giving them out at Comic-Con. You're right. They always do it. You're right. I well, mean, they might well, not. Yeah, month. I'm pretty sure they'll also give out the shirts. I can't see them not giving them out. Well, what's interesting Actually, is usually, never mind. No, they do special shirts for Comic-Con. Yeah, they because they have Comic-Con yeah, on yeah, the sleeve. Comic-Con. What's weird is the E3 shirt does not say E3 on the sleeve. Hmm, maybe but, you could just add the Comic Con logo. I would be. I would not. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the coin they're just gonna transfer over. I don't know if Zelda's even gonna be at Comic Con. Like the way they just, were marketing it, it sounds like this is your one chance until they reveal the. Yeah, because they'll just give the coin out. But. Just randomly for no reason. <laughs> but um, what was I talking about that led to this? What were they saying? I don't know. So why do just change the topic? Yeah, uh, I guess the only other thing. Um, no, I Emily Rogers. Oh, yeah. So she got like, she got the female link thing wrong. Mother 3 still isn't out, which is something she perpetuated the rumor of. But, like, she is pretty spot on with everything. I don't know why I was saying this in the first place. I don't know what was the point. There was a point. I wish I could rewind the tape. Rumor mill, blah, blah, blah. No, we were talking about Beyond Daniel 2 and rumors and... Zelda and how Zelda. she's accurate, but not really accurate. No, she is pretty accurate. Like, I'd say, like, 95. Like, you can't get everything, right? Like, you get fed bad information every so often. Yeah. But what... Wow, this is going to bother me. I can't remember what I was saying. Oh. It's something to do with rumors. And Zelda. Oh, well. Someone's listening to this like, no, Jason, your point was this, and you just stopped, and I don't know what you're going to say. Well, you, you can send me an email, guys, at the contact port Nintendo, and I'll finish my thought then. Or leave a comment on the blog post for episode 127, and I will come in and do dot, dot, dot the rest of my thought, because I don't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> okay. but, um, but it does... One last thing about NX. I was just going to say that um, we're probably going to hear more about NX, or we definitely will hear more about NX before we hear anything about like Beyond Good and Evil 2 or whatever else we've talked about because uh, the Canadian pre- Nintendo's Canadian president slipped up in an interview and straight up said NX reveal and details are coming this fall. So 
stay tuned for that. I think it's about when we all expected it to happen, but now it's like official. So around the time we figured it to be released? Well, that's now in March. Oh, yeah. That was different. Nintendo didn't A long time ago. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Emphasis on when we expected it. When we expect, yes, when everyone expected it. Well, no. They could have done a fall reveal and then launched in November. They announced the Wii price in September at a press event. For some reason, when I think fall, I just immediately think November. But. In the Nintendo count, in the video game counter, that's holiday, the secret fifth season. That's not quite fall. Yeah, that's not right. Quite I forgot that when they say window, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's always the very yeah. last day of like spring or. Uh, yeah. Or not always, but usually. Usually. <laughs> Especially like Matomo, which literally. Matomo like, literally launched the last possible day they could have met. Like, I remember, I forgot when Guile came out for Street Fighter Five, but they're like, oh, he's going to come out in April. Yeah. And he came out like the very last day of April, and he was like revealed like the second to last day of April or something like, right. ridiculous like that. Right. I mean, they said the story mode for Street Fighter was supposed to come out in June, and we still don't have, like, a solid day. Hey, June's not over yet. Exactly. If <laughs> podcast goes up on June 26th, do you realize how many days that gives Capcom? It gives them four. No, well, four well, that's the point that they're <laughs> always waiting yeah. for the last day possible. Yeah, no, they, in the last minute, it's going to be, like, 11.50, and be like, hey, it's two minutes to midnight. Here's a... Iron Maiden reference? Hey, well, that's uh, the Atomic, or the, the Doomsday Clock. Song, Doomsday Clock. It's a Doomsday Clock reference. It's the same reference that Linkin Park makes with their album Minutes to Midnight. The Doomsday so Clock. So they're all referencing... They're all referencing the Doomsday Clock, which is this idea of, like, how long humanity has left after making nukes and having war and all those things, and the clock's adjusted based on world events and things. It's like an it's like a fake it's clock. it's two minutes? It's two minutes, usually. But, um... Interesting. Yeah, so... Well, two minutes to midnight, there's a random of Ram Nintendo. At two minutes to midnight on June thirtieth, they will be like, "Surprise! Here's your Street Fighter Five fighting mode." It's nothing to do with World Affairs. It's just at two minutes to midnight. Oh. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know how to pivot away from that. But uh, what does that have to do with Amiibo? Absolutely nothing. But thank you for helping segue that. I was gonna say the one last thing about Zelda we should talk about is its Amiibo, um, because I'm I'm gonna be honest, they look pretty awesome. I have I've seen them in person. They look very well detailed. They are very nice. They're very awesome, and there are three of them. So there is Archer Link, where he's doing the bow and arrow pose. Um, oh, that's been like FX Archer, where he's no. like cough yeah, so there's, Archer. So there's Archer Archer Link, and they got H uh, H John Benjamin to actually do the or John H Benjamin H John Benjamin Benjamin to do <laughs> to do the voice. That joke only works if I know his name up front. It doesn't work if I trip over it. Uh, there's also a Link on horseback amiibo, and perhaps most interesting is the first ever posable amiibo, the Guardian from all the trailers of breath of the wild uh so all That's three because it probably would have been too complicated to make it all one solid piece so they're like you know what if this is attached to the legs on these hinges well, no, you could, you could be much cheaper uh, and yeah. easier and then look they this is called it articulation cynical much <laughs> no i mean I, I, no you're, you're probably right but i think the articulation it's kind of like cool. the the kid robot figures like they it's too hard to mold the head and the body together, so they just attach it on the on the peg, and it just happens that it could turn. Sure, yeah. So it's like, oh, it had articulation. We actually have no idea what these amiibo do, though, besides the one that can do articulation. Like, we don't know what their in-game purpose is at all. The only thing we know about amiibo and Zelda is um, what Wolf Link from Twilight Princess HD does. And quite frankly, this might be my favorite amiibo implementation Nintendo's ever done. It's totally unnecessary. Like, it's totally optional. It's not like a plastic paywall. It's not plastic. So why not include it from the beginning? They could. But they instead could. of making it wolfling, why not just reskin it as a, a random dog? Or yeah, something? but but for those who don't know, real quick, um, basically you scan in Wolflink and he becomes your little assistant, and he'll go hunt animals for you. He'll go fight enemies for you. He'll run next to you. If it, it, it's a little weird if you stop and think about the fact that Link is being accompanied by Link. There's two Links, but 
if you get over that hurdle and you go, well, it's just half a four swords or two thirds of triforce here, I guess it's okay. Then, then it's okay. But it's cool because like how you perform in the challenge in the um, what's it called in Twilight Princess HD, like the challenge thing with Wolf Link, the, the Shadow Cavern. Yeah, whatever that is. One, depending on how well you do, you save your heart count to the Wolf Link, which at the time when they announced you do that and you have these records of how many hearts you have, I think we both were like, what's the point? Those hearts are his health in Breath of the Wild when you import him. And he will stay alive until he's out of hearts and can import him once a day. So if you do really well in those trials or whatever in Twilight Princess HD and bring him over to uh, Breath of the Wild, you can, in theory, have him for your entire play session. If you just open him out of the box and plop him in, you like get three. to give him back health? I don't think so, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I would guess no because that kind of undermines the restrictions on him. I mean, unless you have so, to scan him every time you boot up the game. You like to scan him once a day. So once he's dead, he's gone. No, well, that's like, I mean, like, on top of that limitation. So, like, oh. you can keep him alive as long as you want, as long as you keep feeding him until you, quote-unquote, like, save the game. And then if you come back to oh, it, I see. they're like, oh, well, you exited out, so... Yeah, I guess they could do it like that. I'm actually not sure. Like, I don't know that level of detail about it. Because they, they weren't showing it on the show floor. They were only showing it... They were. They were showing it at Treehouse Live on stage, and they were showing it in the VIP media booth, which... For those who've never been to E3, so the booth you saw with Zelda was only one of two booths Nintendo has. Behind it, they have a very classy, like, beige and white with, like, nice lighting and, and comfy chairs, like, lounge for media. And there are demos in there of Zelda, like, just freestanding demo units. And if you're media, you just go play with no weight and, like, you know, developers are milling about. And all those interviews you see... But isn't everyone at E3 supposed to be media? No, there's also industry. I went as industry, technically. Oh. There's industry just like people at what work. What industry do you, are you in? I am in the industry of playing games for random Nintendo. I mean, the, I was in enough of an industry to connect. Oh, yeah. Websites. <laughs> websites <laughs> cover video games. I mean, that's true. I I work at a company that does websites. No, Not wrong. You're a social media dude. I am a social media dude. Um... But yeah, like if you ever see those videos of what I started to say, if you ever see those videos like Miyamoto or Reggie being interviewed in that weird, they're in like a beige room with nothing on the walls, like a Zelda poster and like a couch and it looks really like empty and weird. Those are fake rooms they build in this VIP media booth. So the booth is actually two stories and they build rooms with their own air conditioning and their own server rooms. It's like a whole little off, it's like a whole little city they build right behind the booth and that's where they do all that. So that's why when you, you know, read IGN's impressions of Zelda, you're like, that's weird. I read the line was five hours. They have impressions up 30 minutes after the show. That's because they already played it in that special booth. Or in some cases, they get come in before E3 even starts. They had a media day Sunday before E3, and all the mainstream sites played Zelda then. So just a little inside baseball for you. But uh, yeah, so the Wolf Link was on display to them, and it was on display on the Treehouse Live stage, but it was not on display to us plebeians. So I actually don't know how exactly the ins and outs of him work, but I do think it's a really cool idea. Like... There, and I know you made the point where it's like, oh, but they could just do it without him. But what kind of is cool about it is like it bridges the gap between two Zelda games in a unique way that I haven't seen since Oracle of Ages and Seasons. And you don't lose anything if you don't have him. There's no hindering or hurting of the experience or the progress you make or anything without him. It's just kind of a fun little extra that can help you if you have the amiibo. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I think that's, I don't mind them doing that. Yep. At the same time as Zelda, I was giving you a I mean, window it, it to just disagree. Sound, it just sounds like, you seem like you're not on board. Well, I don't know. It sounds like, um, I don't know, like you can't really have it both ways with being okay with some amiibo things and not being okay with some other ones. Why not? 
Because it sounds very hypocritical. Does it though? Because is it? Are we? Am I? Are you looking at the broader and I'm looking too narrow? Or are you looking too broad and I'm looking because I'm, narrow I'm thinking Because uh, I'm thinking back to, um, I don't know, something like the costumes. And like let's say the Mario Kart costumes. Like that's like so, that's even more superficial than this Wolf Link. Like that, like if someone doesn't have it, um, like, oh, well, I mean, it's not going to change the game at all. Yeah. This one, well, I guess like it doesn't take away from the game. It does add a, well, arguably like a different experience. I mean, it's like a, it's almost like another sub mode. Like playing with this dog, something that someone could potentially, arguably, be missing out on. That's true. I mean, I would. I mean, that would suck for someone to not have the chance to experience that. I mean, a costume yeah. like, oh well, like you don't look like Mario, but this is more like, that feels more like a, I don't know, like a paywall than anything else. If anything, I hear is, you. if anything, this is the most. This is one that it's cool that the amiibo does it, but it also feels like the most like, oh, that kind of sucks that it's stuck to an amiibo. Yeah, I guess, I guess you have a point. Because like, if this was a level, I mean, that you could only access the amiibo. When do you draw the line? I mean, yeah. Well, I guess I draw the line at. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, that's just kind of the situation Nintendo put themselves in with amiibo in general. Like the moment they made them, they gave them the functionality. All of it could be debated as it should never be behind the amiibo to begin with. Right. I mean, I I don't know. I I guess where I draw the line personally is if there's content you don't have access to versus content you do. Like, what what bothers me is the full-on plastic paywalls. Like, if you want to access, hypothetically, a special level in a game, you can only do it if you scan the corresponding Amiibo. Or, like, Mario vs. Donkey Kong, the the Mini Mario and Friends, the Amiibo one, Amiibo Challenge. Like, that one's like, you can only access certain parts of the game if you scan in the correct Amiibo to get to that hidden thing. That seems... Because this one, like, there's no content Because the game itself is free, so it's like, well, you only have as much game as you have Amiibo, and you don't have to download the game. Yeah, that's kind of a weird one, too. you have to pay for the game. Yeah, that's true. But, like, this one, like... But I I, I know what you mean. It's like Splatoon. Like, I mean... Yeah, Yeah, that's a good example. Like, like you are playing the same level again, but you are... Yeah, there are additional challenges. Like, that one does suck. Gameplay literally changes. Like, the costumes or even Wolf Link, it's like, nothing is... You're not... Yes, Wolf Link is cool. It'd be nice to have him. But at the same time, it's like, you're still experiencing the same game, the same story, the same environment, the same everything. Well, yeah, the same, except something. you have a little guy like that doesn't get you food instead. I feel like Splatoon is definitely the extreme. Yeah. And then, like, Wolf Link is, like, somewhere in the middle. And then, yeah, the costumes are, like, on the other yeah. end. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a fair estimate. But it's just, like, yeah, yeah I guess for me, it's as long as it's not blocking out entire content, I'm okay with it. But as soon as it blocks out, as soon as I can't access that content any other way, I guess I'm not viewing. Wait, okay, so can you here even, we go. Wait, can, I see what you're going to say. Wait, can you even use this without Twilight Princess? Like, say you only have. You could, the, they're selling the, the wolf link separately. No, no, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you said that the health of the wolf is based on how you do in that one temple thing. Oh, well, then I guess you only get three hearts by default. Yeah. So, if you're so you just, do get three hearts by default. Presumably. Yes, yes, you do. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think. Yeah, it's interesting because I keep saying content, and in a way, wolf link is content. He is physically content, yeah. but I guess my attitude is like replayability. No, not even replayability. I think that's my what Splatoon attitude... is. I mean, well, it's not even replayability because Splatoon they literally like here is a gameplay challenge you cannot access otherwise. But like Wolf Link is like, hey, normally you have to go get that food yourself and then go fight the Bokoblin over here yourself. Now check this out. You have Wolf Link helping you fighting, helping you get the food. It's the exact same goals, the exact same gameplay. There's just, it's like a cheat code almost. Not even a cheat code. That's the wrong word. It's like, uh, it's like options. having, it's like having in remember in Donkey Kong Country, 
uh, returns or drunk or tropical freezing wild oats. It's like, are you sucking at this level? Look, here's like albino white Donkey Kong who's invincible. You just play the level through for the fun of it. This kind of feels like that. It's like, are you having trouble collecting food or do you want help collecting food? Here's Wolf Link that kind of wanders in and does it for you. Like, you're not actually changing the game. For something even as small as that, now it not even makes it sound like, like oh, that's even more reason why I should just be in there. Yeah, maybe it should. Because now I'm kind of like, I just want to have that option. Yeah. Well, you but, could spend fifty nine ninety nine on Twilight Princess HD or twelve ninety nine. No, fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, I think. I'll just have to suck it up. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I hear what you're saying completely. I guess, I, for me personally, it's just like exclusive content versus modifications to existing content. No, no, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, none, yeah. yeah. But but it's interesting now that we're having this conversation because like last episode we were talking so much about like Activision's plan for Toys to Life going forward and Warner Brothers plans with the Lego games for uh, for Lego Dimensions going forward and like they had these very different strategies and now we have Nintendo at E3 announcing not just Zelda Amiibo but as we'll talk about in a sec Mario Amiibo and their strategy for the Toys to Life and the potential bubble is literally like huh yeah I guess that is happening here's some more Amiibo anyway like they they, they, they nothing changed. At all. It's the exact same strategy. It's as if, literally, they're trucking along. Now, granted, they were the single best-selling Toys to Life platform, so to speak, like, category, brand in 2016 as of um, E3. So, maybe they don't need to worry. But maybe they did it right by doing it this kind of slow and steady way. But, nonetheless, it's kind of interesting that, like, we see Activision WB be like, uh, we're going to try this now. And Nintendo's like, no, nah, we're just going to keep trucking along. I mean, obviously, we're not having smash bro shortages like we were but we're still selling so we'll just keep selling weird that they didn't even mention bayonetta cloud or any of the other smash amiibo though yeah or corn i guess those are probably not coming for a long time yeah that kind of sucks but the fact that wolf links in uh breath of the wild implies to me that nx will have amiibo support too you can't not have that on nx yeah so interesting little tidbit but that but i did mention mario amiibo so at the same time as the Zelda Amiibo, Nintendo also announced Mario Amiibo. That was a great sentence. There's a second wave of Super Mario Brothers series Amiibo coming. There is a very sassy-looking Daisy, a very Waluigi-looking Waluigi, Wario, Donkey Kong, Diddy, Rosalina, and perhaps, best of all, Glow in the Dark Boo. That's my favorite. Glows in They're the not dark. out of creative ideas yet? They're not. I mean, just to reiterate, <laughs> it glows in the dark. It's a boo that glows in the dark. It's like a nightlight without power, and that only lasts for probably about a minute. But it's pretty cool for that minute, I'm sure. Uh, they look really nice. Uh, they're also on display there. I mean, they look they're as rounded as like and smooth and cartoony as um, series one of Mario, unlike the Zelda ones, which were very meticulously detailed. But they look good. Um, and they all come out November fourth alongside a new game that Nintendo actually announced at E3 because fancy that. Nintendo is using E3 to announce things after all, and that game is Mario Party Star Rush, which is quite the shakeup for Mario Party. First of all, um, do you remember that rumor we reported back in the spring of the leaked 3DS lineup for this year, and there's a game called N-Stars, or like, oh, maybe that's an Amiibo thing or something. Uh-huh. Well, this game's called Mario Party Star Rush, so I'm about 99.99% sure N-Stars is the code name for Star Rush. So the lineup is complete. Here's the final game. We didn't know what it was. It's coming out in the right time frame as well third quarter third financial quarter for nintendo which is holidays uh, so there we go and star rush uh you said you watched the whole trio slide thing what yeah and before, do you all walk people through what's different because it's very different the funny is that before i was like my starter for everything um 
So what's funny is that before I saw any footage of it, I read an interview with, I guess, a director about Mario Party Star Rush. And he, they were asking, like, oh, um, this is, like, before I knew anything about the game. And the first thing I saw mm-hmm. was, like, oh, why did you decide to have everyone move at the same time? And automatically we're like, oh, man, everyone's moving again in the car. Yeah. And then he was explaining how, like, oh, um, it keeps everyone engaged because you're not, you don't have to look at the screen when it's not your turn. I'm like, well, I mean, debatably, like, stuff could happen at any time in other Mario, in old Mario parties, like, some boo could attack you or, sure, yeah. like, battle all minigames. But I guess as it turns out, he meant, like, oh, it's like Mario, it's like traditional Mario Party, except everyone literally is moving at the same time. Everyone rolls their dice at the same time. Everyone moves at the same time. But instead of, a, I guess, a map, like a circular map. It's, it's not a board anymore. Yeah, it's, it's a like grid. a grid, Yeah, which is pretty interesting. And instead of everyone picking a character, you are all toads, it and is... you have to collect characters, and it's weird. Now, here's one thing that Nintendo keeps slipping in. Yes, you are all toads in the mode they've announced so far called Toad Scramble. They keep saying, in Toad Scramble mode, you're all toads. I'm like, are there other modes? Is Are there things that are not toads? Is there going to be a traditional Mario yeah, Party buried in there? They keep saying yeah. in Toad Scramble, you all play as Toads. In this new mode, Toad Castle, there's something else. I don't know what, but it's not the only it's mode. It's the carts. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a cart. Yeah, it's gonna be called CarPlay, a reference to the Apple huh. software. But uh, ha, nerd jokes. But yeah, it's it's interesting because like it's you're not on the board anymore. You have freedom to roam. It's a total grid system. You roll the dice. It's broken up in squares, and each you know you roll the dice, and that's how many squares you can move in any direction at any time. And instead of, like, a minigame after every turn, because the turns are simultaneous, the minigames are now determined by who gets to these boss characters around the grid faster. So, like, you can... There's different strategies and stuff. So, like, I could be Red Toad and be like, I'm going to beeline to the boss and beat the minigame first, because apparently the minigame is, like, a multi-step thing that requires you to actually, like, progress through it. Or you can say, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over here to Mario. I'm going to align... have, make Mario my ally. There's probably a verb for that. And then take Mario and myself over to the boss. And we'll be a little late, but then there's two of us. Because that's the whole other half of this mechanic, is if you're all Toads, where are the other Nintendo characters? And from what I saw in the trailer and Trail Slide when I was reading, is there's this allegiance system where you want to go befriend up to, I think you have up to three, like core Mario characters. Yeah, you have and, quite the line of characters yeah. running around. And then they, when you go do these boss mini games, they can turn the tide in the boss battle, not just because there's more of you, but they can do certain things that your toad cannot, or something like that. So it's almost like a weird... It's like the boss battles are almost like a King of the Hill situation, where you're trying to get to the top first, and there's always different strategies how you do it. And there's also special boss battles you can get if you land on the same square as some other toad player. Like, if I land on your square and you have Mario, I can challenge you to a head-to-head minigame to steal Mario and make him my ally and then take Mario to the boss fight. So, there's also, like, stars and coins and all the usual stuff, but they work entirely differently. I'm not actually entirely sure how they work, but... Yeah, but definitely the most welcoming new mode. It is cool to me because it's very... It's still very Mario Party, in a way, because it's still, like, the frenzy, but also feels way more strategic than you could ever get with Mario Party. You still are at the. I feel like you're still dependent on how you roll, how the dice rolls, if it's in your favor or not. But within those moves, you have so much more freedom of what you do. That's like yeah. a very. It's got a very different vibe. And it seems way more frenzied, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely looking forward to I'm it. Exci- I'm actually really and, excited. And I feel like that says a lot, considering that I skipped the last Mario Party, which had a whole mode that revolved around Bowser, <laughs> and I skipped it. Yeah, so... if, if you skipped a Bowser-based game. 
there's something wrong with that game. Yeah, that that's a problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. The price goes down enough, but right now, you know, <laughs> just mumble, mumble, mumble. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm 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 like weirdly excited for. It. I mean, for sure, the game is a stopgap. They, I mean, I feel it uses a lot of the. I I feel like it uses a lot of the island tour assets from the last three years Mario Party. It's not like I mean the box art is literally generic Mario. Well, I mean, they use generic also- Mario like they could reuse assets for such a long time. Like I remember, oh, yeah. I forgot where I read it, but um, to who's the the artist, the the music composer, um, to Totaka, him. Um, oh, from Rhythm Heaven. Wait, which? No, which? from Animal Crossing, like Totaka song. Oh yeah, everything. yeah. Like um, he does the voice of Yoshi, and when they first recorded his Yoshi dubs, it's like. A long time ago, they used the same ones for like ten years up until like Galaxy or which is what makes like it that. so jarring when characters change voices in the Mario series, like when Donkey Kong. Yeah, Whoa, that was something new that Mario said. I haven't heard yeah. that. Yeah, or Pretty like, much even, like even, oh, go ahead. No. I feel like I remember like for a while, I felt like the only new piece of dialogue Mario ever said was just the title of the game. Yeah, yeah, but like I would say not just that, but that's why it's super jarring when like Donkey Kong changed his voice in Mario Kart, where he's oh, like you know, yeah. and they became like hi. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it doesn't... Yeah, or like Toad went from being high-pitched to being raspy randomly. Like, when oh, those yeah. changes happen, they feel so much more dramatic because they do keep reusing the voice recordings and assets and everything. It's interesting. I actually saw a mod the other day for Smash Bros. for the Wii U. Like, someone, I guess, just modded their Wii U and just started adding a bunch of Monster Smash Bros. And some of them are pretty interesting. But one that I thought was just kind of random that was kind of cool was that they added... um they changed Donkey Kong's voice to what he sounded like in Donkey Kong 64. Did he rap? Um, no. And, Aww. well, he didn't really rap in the I know. They rapped about him being the leader of the bunch yeah. and how you know him well. He's flying back to kick some And tail. same thing with Diddy Kong. Like, they just, I don't know. They just sounded really cool. They sounded like, whoa, whoa. I forgot he sounded, yeah. like, so um, cheerful and high yep. I guess. Yeah. I don't know if you know, Don Kong's gun fired, uh, coconut gun fired in his first, first time you shoots you, this, it's going to hurt. The podcast, it's probably, like, the fourth time. No, have I? Yeah. Well, I'm consistent. I'm consistent. I'm just showing that even going on three and a half to four years of podcasting, I still know only the first verse of the Donkey Kong rap, of the DK rap. But, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the thing I started to say, though, like, there's nothing wrong with them reusing assets, but <laughs> that SpaghettiO can thing was kind of funny. Now, oh, yeah. to Nintendo's credit, that artwork on the SpaghettiO, so those who don't know, so the Mario Party Star Rush box art has this nice, like, emblem of Mario and the crew inside a ring. And that artwork of them inside a ring is also on the back of this Mario SpaghettiO can. And everyone on the internet's like, oh, look at Nintendo. They're so lazy. They're using the same art. Two things. One, Toad is different on the two pieces of art. You can actually, if you zoom in, his shadowing is actually different. Modern Mario art, this is getting real nitty gritty, but bear with me here. Modern Mario art uses sharp lines for shadows. Older Mario art uses gradient line, like gradient spades. Um, Toad has the sharp sh- shadow, but the rest of the cast in that art has the gradient fade. So, lesson is, kids, uh, Nintendo made new Toad art, probably for Toad, uh, Toad Scramble, and then... You know, to the naked eye, it, it only looks like they just changed the yeah, color. Yeah, and then flopped it in. But the real thing, the real thing that people are getting wrong is that art predates SpaghettiOs. They used it on their website years ago as like, when they used to have Mario.Nintendo.com and I believe it was there, and if it was not there, it was used for a different Mario Party back in the single-digit Mario Party days, or possibly Mario Party 10. So it's not... They didn't take SpaghettiO art and make it into Star Rush, but they definitely took Island uh, Island Tour assets and made it into Star Rush. So, But the game looks cool. I'm, I'm, I have not been excited for Mario Party in a long time. 
and I'm actually excited for Mario Party. I think it just feels right as a mobile game, which is something they never quite nailed with the other Mario Parties, like Mario Party Advance or what was Mario Party Advance called? It wasn't called Mario Party Advance. The you're talking about the card one? Oh no, wait, they didn't have Advance. Mario uh, Party DS and Mario Party Island. Tour. Mario Party DS was cool. Yeah, no, they were, but they were still just straight up Mario Party. Like this is the first one that feels like, oh, we're on portable. Maybe we should try like a quicker. Star um, Island Tour tried something way different. It had Did like they? four completely different modes. Oh, that were all right. like that's right. Portable. Actually, that one was really. That's fun. right. I take that. It had back. the Bullet Bill one where you had to like um, just kind of risk whether you should go for more spaces and stay in the site. I mean, stay in the line inside of the bullet bit or hide in the cave. Didn't they do something like that within Mario Party? Which is the one we had the thing here for? Not in, not that I know of. Mario Party 10? Is that the one? That's the Bowser one. Which was the one that you hosted a Mario Party? Oh, 9. That was 9. So for those who have who always started listening to us after the first year, um, Nintendo came to this very room that we record in, and they brought a life-size Mario and Luigi costume people thing with them in a party bus, and we all played Mario Party and took photos, and then they left. This is a true story. We won a contest. It was the Mario Party Party. And we won a free copy of Mario, or you won a free copy of Mario Party 9 in a Wii. Yep. Yeah. Good times. It was good times. But that Mario Party, one of the maps, has that same bullet bill idea where it's like you can, you're walking and you can either go into the hill or come. Like, it's like there's a path with little grooves that you can step into if you do one space to the left and you can stay there. And let the bullet that's, bill pass or that's something. That's Island Tour. You, I mean, you played Island Tour a decent Isn't amount Island with Tour? us. Yep. I'm pretty sure no, it was. I'm, a, I'm 100% sure. All right, I trust you. You're you're the Mario Party aficionado, so. 100% sure. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited. I mean, do you think you're going to pick it up? It comes out November 4th, so it's kind of their holiday 3DS game. Sounds like Pokemon. the only game I'm going to pick up in November. Yeah. Not Pokemon? As of now, no. Oh, well, maybe some stuff we discuss later. It might be like it's the one where I get it like a few months later. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I might, I think I'm going to get Mario Party. But right now, yeah. Yeah. Nintendo also, check out this, Ray, for this transition. Cut a slash? I hate you. I was going to say, Nintendo also used E3 to properly detail uh, Mario's other 2016 release, which is Paper Mario Color Splash for the Wii U. So I said last episode I thought it was probably delayed to 2017 or moved to NX. You were so I was wrong two days. Two days after the podcast went live. So well done, Nintendo. You you bested me. Uh, so the interesting thing about Color Splash is Star Rush is shaking up Mario Party in a way that seems well-received by a lot of the internet. Say, well, Color Splash seems to be keeping Paper Mario how it was, which is not what people want. So not, not only are they not shaking it up, but they're keeping it in the wrong form, at least based on what I've seen online. And that is, it's not a standard RPG. It is literally Sticker Star 2. And you replace the stickers with cards. Yeah. So, so according... That's, that's Paper Mario now. Well, here's, here's the reasoning. And it actually... It makes sense on one level until you think about it. So, um, according to the producer of the game, Risa Tabata... Um, I think that's how you say it. I'm so butchering it as a white American. Um, the... It was a conscious decision to move Paper Mario away from standard RPGs. Mario and Luigi are standard RPGs. So why have two? That's basically the logic. Now, to me, that feels like a bit of a cop-out. Because um, one's handheld only, Mario and Luigi, and the other's on consoles and handhelds, Paper Mario. Granted, when Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi were both on 3DS at the same time, it is a little redundant to have two Mario RPGs that are skinned completely differently. I get that. When Paper Mario's on Wii U, there is no Mario RPG on Wii U. I think you could probably get away with having two RPGs if one's on Wii U. It's like, 
New Super Mario Brothers 2 and New Super Mario Brothers U came out three months apart on two separate systems, but they were basically the same gameplay. Yeah. Nothing stopping you from doing that with Paper Mario. So that excuse, I don't know if I fully buy it. I get it if it was two years ago with Sticker Star, three years ago. I don't get it now. I mean, I'll give them that. I did have a lot of fun with Sticker Star. I enjoyed Sticker Star. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't the game I wanted, but I did enjoy it. Like, I would, I would recommend it, but... That's literally the... Just don't go in expecting Paper Mario 1000 New Door or Paper Mario. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's super Paper Mario. If anything, um, I'll give it props for being the most paper-themed game of all the other paper games. Oh, just wait. Like, this one like, steps it up. Yeah, like, it definitely, like, owned the whole paper craft mechanic, like, more than any other game. The other ones were more, like, for visual flair, I would say. I well, mean, they had some stuff, but for the most part, I don't know, I feel like Sticker Star and from what it looks like in Paper... Color Splash. It looks like they definitely went all well, out. Like. Sticker Star is interesting because it's the first one, if I'm not mistaken, where it wasn't paper characters on 3D real-looking worlds. It was... Or not real-looking, looking, but they had paper characters in 3D worlds. Then, with Sticker Star, correct me if I'm wrong, it was paper characters in paper 3D worlds. Everything was paper craft. It used to be paper characters on top of, like, standard things. Now it's all yeah. paper craft. And then they're like, stepping everything it up still folded, but yeah, like, for the most part, everything yeah. was, like... I mean, houses were still houses, blah, blah, blah. Everything was just pop-up, yeah. pop-up book, I guess. Yeah, and now it's, like, full paper, yeah. like, 3D paper craft. Like, it, it looks good. But, so, for those who don't know... Yeah, that game looks really good. Yeah, I mean, like, it, wow. it, they nailed... I mean, wow. it looks gorgeous in HD. Wow. I'm just gonna say, I I watched the Treehouse Live segment, like, in person at Nintendo's booth, and they had, like, a jumbo screen, mm, like, a huge... Are. Well, no, what I'm getting at is they had this huge screen, like, big. Like, it was actually nine screens that made up one screen. It looks so good on there. And, like, all the little attentions to detail, like, everything, like, we're kind of saying, it's paper craft. Like, the Koopalings are in it now. And, like, they were showing, I think it was Lenny? No. It was one of the Koopalings. But he had a big hammer. And they had he, the Kiss one. I remember seeing that one in the trailer. Yeah, that might... Morton. Mort, yeah, it was Morton. But um, they had Morton, and he had a big hammer. And I, like, was watching. I'm like, wait a minute. That hammer is, like, a 3D paper craft hammer. Like, someone rendered a hammer. It looks like the ones you can make by folding paper around. And it looked really good. And then they had flames on it that looked like like paper just taped on or like rushing waters, just layers of paper, like stacks. So when it like comes down a waterfall, it's like just sheets of water coming down. It looks so, so good. Um, and of course, the for, as you guys may recall from what was first revealed, the gameplay hook with Color Splash is you're storing color to the world. You do this with a paint hammer. Um, you have the, you ne- we now know you're assisted by an adorable little anthropomorphic paint can named Huey. Uh, get it, Huey? Nope. Like, like Hugh? Like, like color? Actually, you know another pun that's uh, like Ram Nintendo episode title tier, like Huey, is uh, at the start of the game. I was watching do them. I'm like, no, they're not. They did not do that. And then the Nintendo, the Treehouse people are like, hey, you guys get the joke. I'm like, oh, they did that. So at the start of the demo, you go to the Ocean Festival, and the toad. There are five toads that perform at this Ocean Festival, which celebrates all things water. I assume, which is weird for a paper world because water kind of ruins paper. But we'll let that pass. Um, five toads. They you gotta play hide and seek with them. The five toads go by the name of the Fun Guys, Fun Guy, Mushrooms, Toads. Nintendo's full of great puns. That that right there is a Ram Nintendo episode title pun in the making. Like that is totally our our ballpark of awful yet great puns. Yeah, but but anyway, now that now that everyone's probably had their uh, hit their grown quota for the episode, I guess we can proceed. Um, so yeah, we know about the paint mechanic, and now we know courtesy of E3, 
that it's basically the same battle system as Sticker Star as well. They replaced the sticker cards. Uh, how it works is when you're in battle on the game pad is a deck of cards. You can select the cards you want, and then you determine what how you want to attack and whatnot by painting the cards, essentially. And the reason you have to paint the cards is the paint mechanic, the paint meter, is basically the equivalent of, like, mana in a traditional RPG. Like, you only have so much you can do, or, like, PP in Pokemon or whatever. You only have so much you can do before you run out of options so you can't just spam the best cards all the time. So that's like Sticker Star, and that Sticker Star also had limits on what you could do, but you basically any sticker you collect you could use, any card you have you can use as long as you stay within those restrictions. Unlike Sticker Star, when you win a battle in uh, Color Splash, you actually get more than just coins. So they're trying to sort of make it a bit more RPG. Like, because Sticker Star, I feel like the battle system was almost like, like, I enjoyed Sticker Star a lot. Yeah, you got so many coins. But And, and, and it wasn't like the battles weren't necessary. Yeah, you could just kind of avoid all of them. Yeah, but this one, when you, you beat... You Yeah, basically. But this one, when you beat, uh, when you end a battle, you get a card of the enemy, if you don't have... I, I think it's every time, I'm not sure. But you also get um, basically a thing that increases your max paint that you can hold. Or things that boost abilities to paint more. So long story short, you need to do the battles and able to then progress to later battles and later worlds where you need more paint to do your thing. So there's actually, much like experience, just under a different name, actually kind of a cycle you have to go. Like there's a, it's cyclical. You need to keep doing battles to keep getting further. It makes sense, unlike Sticker Star. Um, plus, like with Sticker Star though, uh, there are now thing cards, much like thing stickers. And they look really good in HD as well. So you could have, like, the giant fan come back and blow something over. Or you can have, like, there are these objects from the real world. And then you use the card. You play the card both in battle and in the world to solve puzzles and that sort of thing. So that's straight out of Sticker Star. There's also the cutout ability where on the gamepad, if there's a part of the world you can't get to. They didn't really talk about the- It's not in the trailer whatsoever. It's not in the previews. Like, a lot of this information I got from reading IGN's preview because they actually got to go hands-on with the game on, like, anyone else at E3. I don't know why they were special, but actually I do. They're IGN. But um, they didn't even mention this, but there's a cutout mechanic where if there's part of a level you can't get to, you basically plop the game into the gamepad screen, and then you literally cut around a piece of level, and you just remove it. And then Mario can bridge the gap or get past the obstacle or whatever it is and then proceed on. So they've done stuff like that before, but it's a little more like hands-on because it's on the gamepad touchscreen. Hmm. Um, it's kind of, it's like the puzzle they use as an example is super simple and kind of like, like really in the treehouse demo, but like in theory, it could be used in cooler ways. We shall see. But, uh, yeah, one, you know, one other thing, actually, I wasn't going to mention this, but one other thing that was really weird about like they showed Eddie three, but they didn't really talk about anywhere. So you saw the trailer for color splash, right? It's like two minutes long. The story trailer, the toad is missing his color. gets, they have to go find his color again. Yeah. It screams dramatically. Yeah. So the trailer you saw, it was just game footage, right? There was no voiceover, correct? Uh, like there was no guy narrating it like a bedtime story? Not that I remember. Okay, that's what's weird. So at E3, I don't think it was the Treehouse Live people doing it. I think it was pre-recorded. There was a guy narrating the two-and-a-half-minute trailer, and it – I hate to say it because this term being associated with Nintendo always is a bad idea. It felt so kiddy. Like, so kitty. Like, it was like, oh, no. Why is Toad in the envelope? Mario, what are you going to do about that? Oh, no. It looks like Toad lost his color. Mario and Peach got to go save the day. But it's like in like that kind of, like, narrate like, explaining it to a little kid. Like, how could that happen to Toad? They're, they're going to have to find out by going on an adventure. Like, for a whole two and a half minutes. That trailer. They did show it publicly? 
Yeah, I saw a trailer where like I think it, it was in the treehouse. Well, it starts like with like a stormy night and like Martin's like opening the door and then it's like. But a, did they talk over it or did like, they just it, show that? Because I watched on their YouTube channel the standalone trailer, not the treehouse live stream, uh, and they did not have the voice. And I'm like, what? I don't remember, but that voice sounds familiar. Yeah, because I maybe it was, but I was just sitting there at E3 like, if this is E3 only, which I, which I think it was, at least at the time I thought it was. They're definitely caring to the wrong crowd because E3 is 18 and up. They probably save this bedtime story voiceover for like not that. And also, like, Paper Mario is not the kid of the game. That made it feel so kiddy. Well, and I hate to use the term kiddy. Depending on the narration, I mean, like, people seem to really find the Little Big Planet narrator endearing. Yeah, but this one was not. <laughs> Maybe because he had like a British accent and just he did. This one was there's that kind of humor to his. Yeah, I don't know. It just was so. Talk. It just struck me as so weird because it's so out of place. Like, Paper Mario's writing is great. The humor is great. You don't need a guy talking over it being like, uh-oh, why is Toad gray? Like, just, just chill. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just it bothered me. But, overall, Color Splash looks really good. Like, I'm not – I like Sticker Star for what it was. I, I suspect I'm going to end up getting Color Splash because it fixes issues I had with Sticker Star, like the battle system. But, um Honestly, given that's the last Wii U release of the year before Zelda, I'm probably gonna pick it up just for that. Like, what else is there to play on Wii U? Mm. Nothing really. I mean, Tokyo Mirage Sessions just came out this weekend, and then it's nothing until Color Splash. So, and I'm not even getting Tokyo Mirage Sessions. So, yeah. I mean, do you mm. think you're gonna get it? Nope, not at all. Nope. You got your fellow sticker star? Not even thinking about it. I think a lot of people are. I suspect this game is not gonna do very well for Nintendo for I mean, exactly the reasoning that, or for exactly the shut off. The immediate nope that you just noped out of here basically like that. So. Well, wait. Do I don't mean it negatively. What? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. What I'm saying, did I say Sticker Star? I mean, I don't think Color Splash is going to do as well as Nintendo's hoping because I think a lot of people that played Sticker Star are like, I got my fill. I'm good. Oh. And they just noped just like you did. Because well, you had zero hesitation about getting this. You are just like, I'm not getting it. Wait, for, you asked me if I was going to get Tokyo Mirage. No, I was asking about Color Splash. Sorry. Are you getting Color Splash? You, you definitely said Tokyo Mirage. No, I said was, oh, yeah, I didn't say the name Tokyo Mirage, but I followed up a sentence about Tokyo Mirage with, color, with a question about Color Splash without oh. saying Color Splash. I guess I heard the words Tokyo Mirage. Yeah. Are you getting Color Splash? Oh, most likely, yes. Oh, okay. Well, then. I wonder <laughs> you. I still th- I think my, he- my theory still holds water, though, because I think a lot of people online are like, why does this game exist? This game pretty no. meh impression. Like I said, um, it wasn't the Paper Mario I wanted. When but I'm talking about Sticker Start, but yeah. it was still really fun, and I enjoyed playing it all the way through. Yeah, so I, I don't see why I wouldn't enjoy playing this all the way through. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I'm getting it. So now, if it's a real uh, wow, if it's a real Mario game that people want or crave, they are gonna have to wait a little longer. Though that was a weird transition. It was a good transition, but it came too abruptly. Uh, so the longer that they may have to wait could be years, in fact, because you see, one of the uh, best parts of E3, in my opinion, is when the media corner Nintendo people in interviews and are basically like, "So what, what's going on with the Zelda? Or how about a Metroid? Or hey, where's Kid Icarus at?" And slowly, they managed to get Nintendo executives to stop dancing around the question and actually answer. Occasionally, you hit gold. Like, Chris Kohler of Wired, many years ago, was like, Hey, Miyamoto, where's Pikmin 3? And he's like, Oh, yeah, we're making it. And that was the official announcement right there. Or Kid Icarus was asked about for like six years, and then boom, Kid Icarus Uprising happens. So, it's kind of fun to watch the, the Nintendo people, not exactly squirm, but like, you know, dance around the topic. And this year's no different, because this year... IGN got Miyamoto to kind of fess up about what's going on with Mario, like real core Mario games. And, of course, one is coming. There's always one coming. But what we now know is, A, it'll be out in the next year or two, and, B, 
it'll be a quote new kind of Mario. So not mm. a Galaxy Three, not a 3D world, <gasps> a new Mario. <gasps> yeah. According to Miyamoto, Nintendo's actually using its younger talent, like the guys that are helping with Breath of the Wild, the guys that did Splatoon, to uh, as teaming he up with it, Sonic though. I hope not. <laughs> actually, teaming up with my number nine team for the ultimate in great gaming. But uh, yeah, yeah. no, I just say that uh, he's having them look at existing. This is how he worded it. They're looking at like existing Mario conventions, like traditional Mario tropes, you could say. And just shattering. And no, and just looking at them with fresh eyes. Like, because Miyamoto and the current crew are all like, basically how EAD Tokyo took like what we expect from Mario and then morphed into Mario Galaxy. Like, it still is truly Mario, but it's also totally different. It was out of this world. It was out of this world. Uh, they turned it on its head. It was, the gravitational pull of the game was, no, that didn't go anywhere. But uh, yeah, so the they're gravity doing, of its impact. Was, it had, it had, it had. Yeah, there we go. It had quite the gravitas. Yeah, it had, <laughs> yeah exactly. But uh, so yeah, they're looking at like current market conventions with fresh eyes to try and do that. So in turn, knowing this and knowing the release schedule, we can infer two things about Mario. A, there will be no Mario title at NX launch. He said the first time we may see it maybe at E3 next year, so that means it definitely won't be out by March, unless NX gets delayed. And B we're probably in for something very cool because the guys that are looking at this Mario setup right now are the same guys, like I said, who did Breath of the Wild and Splatoon, and those are both very fresh, new Nintendo experiences. Splatoon in particular has obviously done extremely well for the company. So um, we're pricing at next E3 at the earliest, but nonetheless, there is a Mario coming. It is something. And there's your little E3 tease of this E3. Every year we get something this year with Mario. Sometimes it's Reggie wearing a, Metro, a Samus pin that amounts to absolutely nothing. But this year we actually got some goods. Hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I I would take anything Mario that's new and interesting. I like when they branch out and do different things. Well, I can't think, like, even Mario Sunshine. So. Yeah, but, like, even Mario Sunshine, which is one that a lot of people are like, well, this is dumb, you have the water backpack. I really like Mario Sunshine. I don't know, it's definitely one of my favorites. So. I would... I would say it's the weakest of all the, like, reinventions of Mario. The 64 Sunshine Galaxy 3D mm-hmm. World. But as a standalone game. Because it also felt like 64 too, more than a real. Like, mm-hmm. It's like 64, but here's a jet pack, a water pack. But yeah, it was still awesome. extremely good. I love that game. I don't know. I mean, I kind of hold this, like, kind of true for any, for most franchises. Where I always, especially um, the Mario series, the Smash Bros. series. Um, I always feel like the... They just get better with every release. Like I oh, liked, yeah. Yeah. I like Sunshine way better than sixty four. I like Galaxy way better than Sunshine. Galaxy two way better than Galaxy one. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, that's fair because they learned from the past. Yeah, like I want to say it's the weakest because it's like I don't. Otherwise, sure. I would say like all sixty four is like the weakest. the weakest game. Right, but it's not because it's a bad game. It's just well, I mean, we're comparing every game it's after. Like, it's better. like we're looking at four diamonds and being like, well, if you had to make one like the crappy diamond. Which one would it be? Like, it's a really hard thing know, to yeah. do. It's, it's like on purpose. Actually, like, Diamond's a bad example. Oh, Final Fantasy IV is the worst game of all of them. Yeah. If I say yeah. it that way. I mean, it's true. Well, in my opinion. Yeah. But, but it's still a solid but it, Yeah, game. I'm not thinking Yeah. That. Diamonds are a bad example because there are... The diamond industry is crazy. And, like, if there's a little imperfection deep in the in the stone that you won't see with the naked eye, they would, like, devalue it because you can see it with a microscope. So that, that was a bad example. But you get my point. Um, but let's get back to this E3 because there was a little more that Nintendo talked about. Uh specifically updates on Pokemon Sun and Moon and Pokemon Go. First up, Sun and Moon. This is where I was saying maybe you'll change your mind. So yeah, actually, they got the Pokemon that people at least care about revealed. Yeah, the most important update, by far, is this Pokemon. By far. His name is Yongu- Yongoose. 
He looks like Donald Trump. There's a full gallery of fan art, screenshots, memes, tweets, etc. that Kotaku put together of how much Young Goose, who is a mongoose, that looks like Donald Trump, looks like Donald Trump. Like, there's a full gallery of just, like, how much he looks like him. It's, it's actually really funny. So we link to it on the blog post. If you go to RamTown.com, click this episode. We have, you know, the time stamps and everything with the link of all the news stories. We link to it from there. I encourage you to read it. Regardless of your politics, the freaking mongoose looks like Donald Trump. And even better, he was announced on Donald Trump's actual birthday. Like, what? Like, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. So go check out Trump Goose for yourself. Um, along with Trump Goose, whose real name is Young Goose, uh, Nintendo also showed off a woodpecker Pokemon called Pikapek, which is a really fun name to say. Not as good as Litten, but pretty close. And uh, more importantly, they showed off the first fully revamped, brand new battle mechanic. And I'm going to acknowledge Grubble or whatever. Grubble? Um, the insect Pokemon that they also announced. Oh, that's right. He wasn't. He didn't make the stream. That's right. So I thought it was actually he made the trailer. Yeah, I thought it was clever how Pokemon Company did. It. So they had a live Grubbin? stream. Okay. Yeah, it was Grubbin, the little like uh, beetle looking thing, or not beetle. Uh, yeah, beetle thing. Yeah, had like no legs, no arms, no arms just he looks a mouth. very like. He looks like those things that you kill in Pikmin that just yes. like, kind of burrow out of the ground. Yeah, he, probably what he is. That's definitely what he is. But um, it's, I, I was going to commend Pokemon Company because they they did something clever when the Sun and Moon live stream was going on on Trios Live. As the Pokemon were being encountered in the wild, as you know, they were walking around the demo, they didn't know which Pokemon were going to pop up because it's randomized from a few select ones. But they had tweets ready to go with the stats and information on each of the three, like just reveal, blah blah. blah. And they synced up the tweets with the live stream. So the second Young Goose were revealed, they're like. Make America Great Again, John. No. They were like, uh, here's Young Goose. Then they had, uh, you know, Pick a Peck pop up. And there was here, Pick a Peck. Unfortunately, Grubbin or whatever did not make the cut for the live stream. So they had to only show him a trailer later and then send the tweet. So poor Grubbin. He got overshadowed by Trump. Grubbin's basically all the other Republican candidates in the race. And, I mean, yeah. I did. Again, regards to politics, the fact that it looks like Trump is just very funny to me. Um, yeah, but the real big announcement was... I would argue this battle arena mode. So this is this is probably the biggest new mechanic in a Pokemon game's battle system in a while, right? Like Yeah, it's it's pretty huge if you think about it. It's like an arena battle. I mean it's literally called battle arena. I so. mean you, you I mean we've had like four people being able to play against each other before, but, but it's now teams of two. Yeah, but now it's everyone yeah. with everyone. So what it is, how it works, and it's different in terms of how you win and what you can do. So how it works is it's one it's one V one V one V one. So four on four. <laughs> free-for-all and each person selects three pokemon going in and it doesn't it's not last man standing which is the pokemon has always been you know the trainer with the pokemon left is the one that wins this one is as soon as the first trainer as soon as one trainer loses all three of their pokemon the battle just stops and then it almost so does a monopoly like a, yeah. one person goes bankrupt exactly the and, then, and then it almost does like a smash bros style like comparison thing where it pits how many pokemon you have left versus how many other pokemon you fainted and then that ranks who wins so it's a very different mechanic for Pokemon, but it actually looks kind of fun. So and there's it's one more... clear loser, but the and other then... three are up in the air. Until it ranks you, yeah. Yeah. But it 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 plays nicely with Nintendo's whole... Remember a while ago, this was like a year ago, they talked about this initiative, like, oh, we want to encourage local multiplayer more. Now, potentially Ballerino will be online, they haven't said. But this seems like a very a faster pace battle mode in many ways. Um which kind of plays out yeah, the idea. We like want, we want people crazy. communally gather in public spaces and play 3DS to make other people want to go play 3 like buy a 3DS. This seems I mean, like I'm just kind of curious how high level play will look with this. I just, I just imagine it going either very fast or... 
I guess it could go really slow. Very defensive, and it could be too defensive. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting is like Nintendo made the everyone's point. everyone's gonna play a stall wall Pokemon. It's gonna be the most boring thing ever. <laughs> Everyone poisoning each other to death, or just healing. metapods, all metapods, and nothing happens. It just harden for two hours. Um, but it, what's interesting is Nintendo made a point in the press release about this. Well, they have like, a time limit. I think it says um, they last at right. most thirty minutes or something. Right. Like that. Yeah, which is a long time if you think about it. Thirty minutes, but they they may have pointed a press release that like there's also a new strategy that comes with this, which I mean I guess this is true. I didn't really think about it, but like, do you team up against the guy who's in the lead? Do you defend someone because you know you can beat them later? Like, how does it? Yeah, you all these because you don't want the battle to end so that you can get exactly. More like, it's not even about the Pokemon anymore. Now it's about the trainers and the Pokemon. Like, it's a whole new mindset. Like, it could be really cool. So, so that's actually. In fact, they keep trickling out new things about Sun and Moon. That's just like, oh, that's cool. Like the QR things, the QR code things, kind of yeah. neat. Like the Hawaii things, kind of neat. Nothing like, oh, to make me go, oh, I need this. So far, it's still yeah, uh, yeah. I can't see myself personally getting into in-depth four-player battle arena matches, but you know. But lastly, for Sun and Moon, it was confirmed at E3 that the 3DS games will also, in some way, at some point, interface with Pokemon Go. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know what that entails. I don't even think they know what that entails during the Pokemon Go developer Q&A. Um, they were just kind of like, yeah, we're going to sync them up somehow. But yeah, no one really said what. But that does bring us to Pokemon Go itself, which got its own lengthy Q&A at day two of uh, the pre- of uh, E3. And it was, it was an impressive bunch of people on stage. It was like the heads of Pokemon Company, the uh, like lead guy from Niantic, Miyamoto, Bill Trennan, I guess a who's who across the board of like all three. I wasn't Miyamoto there. What? I wasn't Miyamoto. Miyamoto was there because he got lost and just needed to be <laughs> chill yeah. for a while. He he got lost and was like, ah, oh, chair, thank you. No, he was there because if you recall, when Pokemon Go was announced, it was shortly like probably two months after uh, Saturi Wada's death, and Saturi Wada spearheaded the Pokemon Go initiative at Nintendo, but he wasn't there. So Miyamoto, because he passed away. So Miyamoto stepped in at the announcement, like the strategic and the big reveal where they like had him and the Poke- Pokemon Go Plus and everything and the Niantic developers all like shaking hands and whatnot. He was like, he's like the symbolic lead. Also, he is the producer on Pokemon like way back. The first Pokemon, mm. he was executive producer maybe. So he gave a lot, you know, like the whole trading mechanic with the link cable and exclusively niche version. Yep. Miyamoto. That's his doing. Miyamoto. Yep. So he does have a hand in Pokemon. Um, so he was there. And I'm glad he was there. That's like one chance of seeing Mimo this year. Last year we saw him at the World Championships, but this year, if he didn't do that panel, I wouldn't have seen him. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so the Q&A did cover a lot of stuff that we already knew. We talked about, for those who missed it, check out our last episode, 126, because we give in-depth impressions of Pokemon Go because we have played it, and like the field test beta, and it's it's pretty fun. So we're not going to rehash that, but we are going to talk about a couple of things we learned. Namely, trading is not going to be there at launch anymore. And Pokemon Beyond the First Gen are, in fact, coming to the game. And when you combine those things with the plans to integrate with Sun and Moon, uh, one thing, to me at least, becomes super clear. And as that Nintendo, the Pokemon Company, and Niantic are in this for the long haul. This is not going to be a flash-in-the-pan Mitomo situation. They are positioning Pokemon Go to be an actual thing that will make money long-term and promote the brand long-term and they're going to do that with constant wallets of trading with constant wallets of sun and moon integration new pokemon new features new gyms new whatever this they are in this for the long haul so that that's interesting because a lot of well not interesting that's the wrong word it's a given but like so many mobile games are flat are like one and done i mean tomo was 
a week in number one at the charts and has since and then just completely fell off. You could even say that for a lot of other yeah, no, it's not assembly. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's just the trend in mobile game. There are some exceptions. Clash of Clans, for example, which by the way just got bought by a giant Chinese company, developers Clash of Clans, got bought for like do ten like billion Clash dollars. Or something? They have spin off, but Clash of Clans is still their moneymaker. Yeah. And that's if you look at like the top revenue earning games on the App so Store, that's number that. one. Yeah. So like they are trying to do that with Pokemon Go, I feel like. And to kick it all off, we could see Pokemon. We could expect to see Pokemon Go launch sometime towards the end of July. It sounds like, just in time, for us to go to Comic Con. Use Pokemon Go at Comic Con. Go. Oh man, this is killing our phone batteries. Turn off Pokemon Go and then proceed to not use it the rest of Comic Con. I'm looking forward to mm. that moment of realization of how bad of an idea that was. But yeah, so it's probably coming late July. Um, I think the best party announcement that's coming in late July is how awkward. The announcement was so Miyamoto just kind of said it. No one, I don't think, wanted him to say. It. He's just like they're talking about the Pokemon Go Plus, and he's just like, "Yeah," which is the wearable for those who don't know. He's like, "Yeah, we're aiming to launch it by end of July," and everyone just kind of like shifted in their seats on stage. And someone's like, "I don't think we were supposed to say that." I think Bill Tran's like, "I don't think we were supposed to say that." Ha 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 ha. And then like the Niantic guy was like looking around, kind of like, "Did we just commit to launching Pokemon Go end of July?" Like it was definitely like. You could feel the awkwardness on the live stream, and you could definitely feel the like the ooh kind of moment in person. Like there was definitely like a weird vibe for Mary too. Like I don't know if they were joking around or what, but there's definitely like, why did you say that, Miyamoto? So we now know <laughs> crazy old man, crazy old man. So we now know that Pokemon Go is coming in late July because he specifically said the plus success. As of now, yeah, they're aiming for it. They're tar- they they very clear like well, that's what we're targeting. That's what we're targeting. But um, yeah, the Go accessory, the Go Plus accessory, is what he specifically dated, and you can't have the Go Plus accessory without the app to go with it. So July, it looks like. Um, uh, it was just, it was so good. And and here's the thing, I don't think they're going to delay it because like if if you're Niantic, do you want Miyamoto upending the tea table at you? I don't think you do. So if he publicly says late July, you're gonna deliver late July. You don't want to face Miyamoto's wrath. But. Uh, Along with the date or the time frame, we also got the price. Did you see the price of the Pokemon 30 Go Plus? Something? $34.99. The same price as many 3DS games. Huh. Now, to me, that seems expensive. I understand the Plus offers some tech under the hood. Like, there's the Bluetooth that's constantly interfacing with the app. There's the fact that, like, how it works is actually kind of impressive. It has multiple colors that flash. You tap the button in the middle, it'll then do some stuff. Or you do different tapping patterns, and it'll tell you, like, oh, you caught that Pokemon. Or, oh, no, you didn't, using different <laughs> oh, color icons. Oh, no, icon. you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, snap, using different um, colors. Like, it does all that stuff. So, like, from that perspective, I get why they would want to price it as a little gadget. But, like, it seems high for what, well, for I mean, what it does. Well, I mean, the app is... F- well, okay, that's actually the, the worst way to think about it. But if the app is free, then who's your buy? Well, no, no, no. I was, yeah. was going to say... Um, the app is free, by the way. No, I, I know it is. Um, my, my point was... Well, what I was going to say was... Oh, you could think of um, thirty four ninety nine as the price of the entire game. So, it's, oh, you're just getting this accessory. But that's, like... No one's going to think that. I know, that's a bad way to kind of go Here, about Here's it. my issue with it. Like, if you're... You got to look at, like, there's two markets that Pokemon Go applies to. And if you look at it from either one, this thing doesn't make sense at that price. If you're a casual Pokemon Go player, why would you spend $30 for an accessory you may not use very much? Like, simple as that. Like, if I play Pokemon Go, if I'm like, oh, I like Pokemon... Excuse me. I'm like, oh, I like Pokemon. I'll, sure, I'll play it for, like, a couple weeks. I'm, am I going to go buy a $35 wristwatchy looking thing? Probably not. And then, 
let's say I'm a hardcore Pokemon fan and I know I'm going to be obsessed with Pokemon Go, why would I then spend thirty dollars to let a tiny plastic wristwatch thing determine seemingly at random which Pokemon I catch, which Pokemon I don't catch, and I'm given the opportunity to say, hey, um, maybe I should use a Great Ball instead of a Pokeball or Master Ball instead of a Great Ball. Like maybe there are little cues that let you do that, but as of right now, there we do not know of those. So as of right now. As a hardcore Pokemon fan, if I want to use strategy, or if I'm in a spot where there's a Mew on my left and a Rattata on my right, how do I know the Pokemon Go? How do I know my $35 excess dongle on my wrist is not going to go for the Rattata and ignore the Mew? I don't. If I'm a hardcore fan that's got to catch them all, I'm going to pull out my phone and do it that way. So this doesn't really apply to me in that situation. If I'm a casual guy, it doesn't really apply to me because, like, I don't know if, I, if it's worth the money because I'm not going to play it that much. So, like, who's it? Because like, but in my opinion, neither of those mindsets this meshes with. So I don't quite get, I don't quite get its purpose. I mean, maybe I'm bitter. I just want it to work with Apple Watch. It's not working with Apple Watch. It's not working with Android Wear. There's no watch accessory. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm taking out my anger about that. Thing on my wrist. Yeah, like I bought the Apple Watch before Pokemon Go was announced. But I bought it knowing that one day I would catch Pokemon on it, and now that promise that never existed has been broken. What so. do you use that thing for besides certain time? Uh, time. No, it's actually really nice for notifications. Okay. And also uh, Siri on my wrist to control music in my car. All Very right. nice. And some other things, but this is not the app- random Apple Watch podcast. It's a Nintendo podcast. I'm really excited, actually, for the Apple Watch update coming this fall. It addresses every issue that I've had with the watch. So They're completely revamping the UI. We will see. They should hopefully address every issue. The biggest issue is the slow load times. have to keep times. a watch on it. Yes, I will be keeping a close watch on it. I literally just repeated your point back at you. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. That's just me. Like, I I can't, like, I can't imagine you getting the Go Plus. Or but now you're going to be like, I am, though. Maybe. Really? You Probably not, would? though. Like, would you actually wear that in public as a 26-year-old man? Uh, I'll keep it concealed somehow. Ah. Wear it as an anklet, like you came from a jail or that you're on, like, house arrest. <laughs> Although they have to reach down, like, slap your anklet to hit the button. but Or your ankle to hit the button. I don't know. Um... I don't know, I think right now, my thing is, um, there is very select games that I'm more worried about that I feel like I'm not going to concern myself with these yeah. tax periods. I'll just, I'll just play the free version. Yeah, that's all I'm going to do. I mean, if I feel like it's really missing something, then I'll get the, the Go Plus thing, but right, I, don't think, you I think, um, for the most part, um, between Rhythm Heaven, um, Zero... Zero Time Dilemma coming out, like, next week, and Monster Hunter, and then Ace Attorney. Yeah, I'm going to have plenty on my portable plate. Not to mention, I um, I kind of made it a point to myself to not to not really have games on my phone. Um, After your Hearthstone addiction. Yeah, we talked about it on this very show. Yeah, like Hearthstone kind of ruined um, phone games for me, um, <laughs> for my productivity. But, uh, yeah. Wait, don't you still have it on your phone, though? Um, I reinstalled it because my... Here comes the intervention live on the Roundtown Podcast. Are well, you ready? Well, because I was on vacation. Are you ready? <laughs> You're still working part-time during the summer at the school. Oh, yeah, but um, I don't have animation classes anymore. That was kind of the big one. So, so just to make sure I understand. If I were, if you were, say... If you were, say, a Wall Street Journal broker... Or, not Wall Street Journal. If you were a Wall Street broker, if you worked in the financial industry... And apparently cocaine use is very high there. And you were doing cocaine like every night and it was interfering with your business. And then you were like, oh, cool. My company just brought on 
a dozen people to help us with her job. I have more free time now. You would start dabbling in the cocaine again, thinking, I'll be fine now. Oh, it's a weird situation. That's a weird analogy, but it kind of works. The, <laughs> I mean, the, the main reason why I re-downloaded it, because I don't play from my phone at home, obviously. But I'm only at work for three hours, and there's literally nothing for me to do while at work. Like, the only thing I can do, honestly, because even the teachers, like, all we can really do is just fiddle with our phone. And I feel like, I don't know, I catch up with Twitter and stuff. I said, there's, like, literally nothing for me to do there, and the kids don't need any help. So I'm just, like, I could either pace there for three hours or... Play her song and make it feel like 30 minutes. And you know what I'm hearing? You know, I'm hearing I know, yeah. Just I hear a bunch here. of excuses. <laughs> well, we, whatever. I just like that this the podcast is literally grinded to a I can specifically it. to talk about her stone and your addiction. I can uninstall it whenever I want. <laughs> I could quit at any time, I swear. I could quit cold turkey, I swear. Uh, no, I wouldn't install it right now, but I have work tomorrow. <laughs> and also, here's the problem. Unlike <laughs> drugs where if you quit them, they're gone, you have to go buy them again, there's literally a download history on the on iOS. You can just go re-download it. And you could delete it right now, and then the second I walk out the door with this file to go upload to the site, you can just reinstall it, and I'll never know. Yeah, something I do have to delete it, though, because it takes up over a gig, and because of that game, I'm always, like, at, like, 500 or less, like, megabytes away from messing right. up my memory. Yeah. See, that's when you know you have a problem. You real you uh, you identify a problem. You identify a problem caused by your addiction, and then you don't try to fix it. You're just like, it. That is what it is. Yeah, I. It's true. I can't drive because I'm always on heroin. But you know what? I, I just won't drive. I don't have places to go. It's fine. <laughs> uh, wow, we really ground. We really grinded this episode to a halt with all this. I just love making fun of your personal addiction. I'm sorry. It's not even making fun of it. It's just, it is making fun of it. Who am I kidding? Um, we should try to talk about one more game before we get to Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix, which I know you have a lot to say as our resident Rhythm Heaven, like, fanatic. And that final game is the second surprise from the, or the second surprise new game from Nintendo. Again, I, it's amazing how they realized E3 is a great place to reveal video games. And that is uh, this brand new IP that came totally out of nowhere. It's a JRPG of sorts called Ever not really a JRPG, it's more of an adventure RPG, called uh, Ever Oasis. Being developed by Grezzo, who you may know as the studio that handled the 3DS version of both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And now, presumably as a reward for doing all that porting work, uh, Nintendo is giving them their own game that's coming out in 2017. It's sort of like a hybrid of those town-building games, like a Tales Tales series entry almost. So basically, what you do... They only showed it briefly in Treehouse Live, but it actually... like It has a very chibi art style. It looks kind of cutesy, but actually, it's kind of cool. So you... You're building this oasis in the desert, and you can only build the oasis by going out to dungeons and collecting seeds, which you then bring back to grow shops. And the more you grow the city, the more people from different tribes and different races and whatnot come to your city and bring their own shops with them. And then you can take the people from those tribes, add them to your party of up to three, and then go adventuring with them in dungeons to thus make a bigger town, and then it just kind of grows from there. So... When you're out exploring the world, it kind of has the most, like, Tales vibe, at least to me, which I, I, I thought you might be interested in this if you haven't been following it. Um, you, Angel specifically, not you, listener, although if you're a Tales fan listener, maybe you are too. Uh, but yeah, all the battles are real-time. There's, like, a strong attack, a slower, like, a slower strong attack, a quick attack, mapped to different buttons. And just watching the battle footage, it looks kind of like Tales. Like, it reminded me a lot of Tales. Maybe not in the individual mechanics, just like watching it. Yeah, it's like real time battle with like RPG on my stuff. radar, but the problem is that I'm um, one. Well, it's not two, out till 2017. Three, 
Four. It's not out till 2017. I am four Tales games behind from Tales games that are out, and they also just announced another one. Well, sounds like sounds to me like you just skip those and go straight to Ever Oasis because you're so far behind. Why not just? You didn't finish Lord of the Rings, but you might as well because watch uh, Tales games I that I do want to finish. <laughs> well, I mean, that, why would I not point. already play Tales games? Well, they're each individual stories, right? Like you could just slot in Ever Oasis. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I already own, I think, two... I own three of the ones that I still have to beat. Plus, I still have all those other 3DS games right. that I've mentioned already. Right. So, yeah. unless this no, game comes fair. out in 2018, yeah. I think it has a lot going for Or, it. I, I guess, just lock myself up for a week and just play video games nonstop. I mean, games I haven't beaten nonstop until I beat them to actually catch up to the Just game. make sure Hearthstone isn't on your phone when you do that, or else all you're playing is Hearthstone. Well, I don't think Hearthstone is the issue for... No, I, for I, I, I was making a callback reference to five minutes ago. That's no, if anything, it's Rhythm Heaven. I've been playing that nonstop. I've, yeah. ignore, I've completely ignored Hearthstone when I come home. Because oh. obviously I'm not going to take my 3DS and play it in front of kids, because they're going to be like, oh, Smash Brothers. The and they'd be like, no, this is a Rhythm game with a, with a girl that really likes donuts. And they'd be like, what? Chapter 3. The third story point is the girl who's obsessed with donuts at the oh, beginning of Rhythm Heaven. I just remember them as donut person, not this girl. That I Wasn't it a girl? Maybe it was a guy. I'm pretty sure it was a girl. She kept calling the donuts handsome, which is what girls oh. say about guys often. Um, Jack had a weird love interest with donuts, like a weirdly, like, creepily sexual interest in donuts. Yeah. It's really for everyone, just... <laughs> but, but nonetheless. Uh, but no, before we get to Rhythm Heaven, um, I was going to say, like, everywhere it's just, like, it seems... Like, it's cool because it seems to have some interesting untapped potential that they might tap into. Like, I mean, the whole game, like, it's in a desert. It's modeled... The art style and everything borrows from Egyptian culture and mythology. The story borrows from that. That's not something you see very often in games. Like, I think Prince of Persia... I mean, it's not obviously not Egypt. That's Persia, so that's the closest you'll get. But there really isn't much ancient Egypt. I guess Sphinx. Do you remember Sphinx, the platformer for PS2 and GameCube and Xbox? That sounds familiar. Sphinx and the Curse of the Mummy. I'm it's a... actually pretty fun. It's kind of a Zelda-esque game, but that's the last one I could think of as any Egypt anything. So it's kind of cool out there doing that. And more significantly, the creative lead on this game has like serious JRPG pedigree. His name's Kochi Ishii. Uh, he worked on early Final Fantasy games. He... The, the monasteries like Secret of Mana and everything. And perhaps most importantly, this is the guy. This Mr. Ishii here is the guy who single-handedly came up with the entire idea of a class system in an RPG. Like, the basically the job system. Like, this is the guy who in the first Final Fantasy was like, let's do that. And now he's making this game. So he has the background to make an interesting game. Like, and that that is what's gotten me most interesting. Is like, what other things could he come up with? Because right now it looks kind of like a mesh... A mix of like other RPGs that are out there, right? Which is fine in its own right, but and the Egypt thing's kind of cool. But then when you have him, who at least back in the day innovated in some pretty significant ways, I'm kind of curious what Nintendo may have up its sleeve or Grezzo may have up its sleeve with this. So we'll find out. I mean, it's not up to 2017. This was definitely them just kind of throwing it out there because they had the audience that would pay attention to it during mm-hmm. Trios Live. But it, it's interesting. It's it's cool to see that even 2017 there's going to be new 3DS games. They're not just going to be focusing all on NX. Yeah. Yeah. And that, honestly, in a nutshell, was E3 for Nintendo. I mean, sure, there are other games they showed, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, but those were all... But what we discussed, I feel like, is what generated the most news and attention for Nintendo. And in the case of Zelda, it was a lot of news and attention. According to Twitter, like actual Twitter, the company, Breath of the Wild was the most tweeted about game during E3. There were were nearly 600,000 mentions. 
of the game. For comparison, second place game, Battlefield 1, had a third of the mentions. Well, like, it blew it out of the water. Then you got the fact that, like... Zelda for Yeah, seriously. Or how about the fact that Zelda was the most organically searched game name during E3? Like, going to Google and typing a game name, Zelda was number one. Or, how about the fact that, um, after a single week, the Zelda trailer on Nintendo's official YouTube channel has had over 6.5 million views. Put that in perspective, that makes it the most viewed video ever on Nintendo's YouTube, and it's only been up there for a week, and that's not including the re-hosts on other gaming sites by random fans. Like, that's just people that know to go to the official Nintendo trailer page. 6.5 million. Well, Pokemon Go eventually got to, like, 20 million or something, but that took longer, I feel like, and that had the viral element, which just doesn't quite happen. But nonetheless, that's huge. So, well, so ironically, prior to E3, all we knew is that Nintendo was going to have a single game, and it was going to be pretty lackluster, we thought. But now, looking back, I feel like Nintendo actually had a pretty good E3. I think they still managed to put on a good show. Like, they had a killer booth. I mean, not booth, seriously. They had the killer game of the show. Game of the of the show for a number of websites. It was all I heard about walking around. Like, I heard references to either Zelda or the line to play Zelda or how annoying it is that there's no way to play Zelda because of the line. More than I can count. Like, it was... I'd be standing in the Xbox booth and there'd be people waiting to play Forza talking about Zelda, not Forza. Like, it was the talk of the show. So they had... I think they had a good E3 and we always undervalue Treehouse Live. Like, we talked about before E3. We were like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess on Treehouse Live they can demo other stuff. But that thing, like, generates attention and is fun to watch. Like, it's a really smart thing. Because Sony, Microsoft, they have an hour each. Hour and a half, maybe. And they show what they show. And that's it. Then they're done. Their buzz is over. Then it's just impressions of what they showed. Nintendo had two full eight-hour days of footage. Even though they only showed, like, six games, we just spent, what, two hours and ten minutes or so? Talking is that about where we're at? Like, yeah. Yeah. We spent that long talking about whatever number of games Nintendo showed. We didn't even touch on things like Dragon Quest Seven, which, by the way, now comes out in September. Like, there's... Treehouse Live is the brilliant way of doing things. It's just fun to watch. So, yeah. And, and I mean, Treehouse Live, for them, let them avoid the uh, Federation Force-style blowback as well. So, mm. for them, it was a win. I think, like, this E3 was a lot better than we gave it credit for going into it. Like, we were like, oh, only Zelda's gonna suck. Turned out, I'm... Maybe I'm biased because I was there. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a Definitely. good E3. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good E3. It was not the most varied E3, but what, what Nintendo had to work with, they worked well with. They worked with well. And of course, the icing on the cake. Here's your transition. The icing on the cake was in the last minutes of Treehouse Live on the second day. Out of nowhere. They're like, so this is Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix. This is how it works. By the way, it's available to download right now. So... Being the good Rhythm Heaven fans that we are, we both have it now. And you, for those who don't know, Angel is a huge Rhythm Heaven fan. Like, huge, huge, huge. Like, he has done an awesome mashup of Pokemon and Rhythm Heaven. Like, an hand-drawn animation that's on his YouTube. Is it on our site or just on your YouTube? I don't remember. I know we put the... It was, uh, it was like my first... Um, it was like an experiment that I used so that I could practice Flash animation. Yeah. But you picked Rhythm and, Heaven. Is, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah because I, I fell in love with that DS game when I first played right. it. And then I went back and looked for the Game Boy Advance one. I got to play that. Then imported the Wii one and played, and played it well before the English one came on. Then I still played the heck out of the yeah. Wii one. And we went to the launch event. And oh, yeah. you have somewhere in this room souvenirs from the launch event that we may or may not have actually oh, been allowed there. to take. But we have anyway. I have them too, but you... Yeah, and then we have a little Marshall ear fan thing. Yeah, and... and 
Um, there's also the Smash Bros. Rhythm Heaven punch-out mashup thing, oh, yeah. which is on the site. So if you go to the extras oh, yeah, the Mac, com, we have yeah. Lil Mac Rhythm Heaven mashup video that he did. That's really cool. Um, the point is, if there's anyone that's going to talk about Rhythm Heaven ever in the history Already of mankind. Already 20 plus hours in. Yeah, you, 20 hours in, it's been out for, as of this recording, it's been out for about a week. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. I now give you the floor. But yes, here is our full, in-depth, very in-depth impressions of notes. Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix that I shouldn't have crumpled up. Yeah, what was your logic there? Like before the show, like I don't need these. Crumpled them up and threw them at me, and then immediately like, oh, I do need these. It started like f- flattening them again. I was trying to prove a point that backfired. It well, it sure did. But anyway, so yeah, what do you think of Mega Mix? Well, overall, I would definitely have to say that this is my favorite game in the series, maybe because. Half of it is like, um, like nostalgia fuel, like on steroids. But mm-hmm. um, they have a lot of like original cool games that I don't know. Just a good balance. It's just so much more game, and it addresses a lot. I mean, I didn't really have too many issues with the series as a whole, but it does address some things that I will definitely touch on. So, as a whole, like the game, um, I don't know. I was actually kind of worried at first because. Normally, Rhythm Heavens are structured like a menu system. They're just a grid of you pick a game, play it, pick a game, play it, pick a game, play it. Mm-hmm. Then after four games, you do a remix. This one started you off with a little narrative like about some little af- pink afro bear thing that fell from Rhythm Heaven, and you have to help him on his journey back. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't need this. I just want to go to the next game. A, 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 A. Yeah, honestly, and- the second that it was like, I fell from Rhythm Heaven. I'm like, oh, no, it's like those movies that say their own name in it. Like, that was almost a red flag to me. I was in the same boat as you. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of, like, what started to, like, like it started to, like, kind of slow the game down a little too much for me. And because, I mean, this is what I loved most about Rhythm Heaven overall was that it's such a pick-up-and-play game. You just pick it up, play some games, and you're done. Yep. But this plot that they tried to shoehorn in there just slowed it down. Like, I can't, you can't even beat one game without getting, like, a little talking to by whoever you're helping at the moment so first you help out this bear or no it's not even a bear it's like a i think his name is honey dog or something but pretty much he talks to you you play a rhythm game he congratulates you says some things then you play the next game and the more talking talking and then after you beat those four games you would expect a remix but then there isn't one and you're like okay that's in a huge loop like, because I went through, like, three or four stores, I'm like, Where, where's the remix? Yeah, so it was just kind of weird, and then you just keep, you pretty much go through that cycle. You go through, like, three worlds, and then you go through this random challenge by these three, like, hooded people, and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then they just make you play some, what was, like, a side toy. Like, they used to call these toys in the old Rhythm Heaven game, they're just little games you just play with for endless amounts of entertainment. And I mean that just, like, you flip a coin until you get bored. And they turn these into actual challenges, like, all right, flip it ten times in a row as we change the tempo up really fast. Right. So I guess on top of, like, the story slowing that, like, slowing the game down, now you have these challenges slowing the story down even further. And it's just like, oh, my God, let me get to normal rhythm heaven. So you go through six of these worlds and two challenges in between. And then you finally get to, I guess something called like the green tower and then it just looks like another set of four games and then there you finally get one remix but i guess what's and i was like really just that one remix and then you beat it and then it's like oh okay the game's over but then traditional nintendo like oh nope it's not fake credits and all and now you get six more 
sets of towers, each with four more games, and each one with a remix. So now you have seven Wait. remixes and um, 20, 21, no, yeah, 20 more games. So, copy so you go through six worlds of four games, and then you go through seven more, basically seven more worlds of four games each with seven remixes So each. the story's a fake out? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm I'm toward the end of the story based on what you're saying, but I'm not. No, you're like halfway through. I, yeah, I didn't play much of it because I was busy like with other stuff, but and I knew you were going to do the impressions. But so you're telling me that the story that they make you think is the core of the game is really just kind of like a drawn out tutorial. Basically, what kind of what kind of that's good actually. What kind of like disappointed me at first, but then I just kind of just said like, all right, I get it. Um, if you played the old rhythm, you really don't have to play the old rhythm games to enjoy this one. If anything. If this is your first Rhythm Heaven game, I would honestly say this is, like, probably the best place to start. Well, it takes the old mini games, right? So well, yeah. Well, yeah, well, not only does it yeah. take, like, um, the old games, and it actually structures them, and you always play one from the Game Boy Advance game first, then the DS one, then the Wii one, and then a brand new one. Because mm-hmm. there's always four. So it's yeah. that structure. But the thing that I found kind of odd at first was, like, all right, um, you're playing the the one with the cat and the dog that are, shooting, that are hitting the badminton back and forth. But it's, like, a different song. And I'm like, all right, well, it's a new song. Okay, keeping it fresh for those that played it before. But then they just hit it back and forth at the same, from the same, they're just side by side the entire time. They do their ba 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 ba. You know what I mean? Ba, da, they, um, where they kind of slow down the badminton a little. I mean, I just the, 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 the shuttlecock. <laughs> yeah, the shuttlecock. They yeah, slow the ball down a little, but then does it like twice and then it's over. It's like maybe 30 seconds and you're like, whoa, this was way shorter and easier than I remember. And then you do some, and then you play some other games that from the past, and they're just all way simplified, have like some things taken out, and are just way shorter. And I guess it was just their equivalent of like I guess making them all very tutorialish in the beginning, because then later you get a part two version. Like almost every every Rhythm Heaven game has you replace some of the games twice, where they add new elements and add just another layer of difficulty. Uh-huh. But this one kind of did it backwards. They added a simpler version. So that the normal version seems like the more difficult one. Because the badminton one only had one version in Rhythm Heaven Fever, and that was it. But right. this one, I guess, not technically has two. But now you have some games that have three. Hmm. The normal one from Fever, the harder one from Fever, but now you have the even simpler one at the beginning. So, so I don't I know. Get, did it, Nintendo think, I mean, just thinking out loud, did Nintendo think like, oh, maybe Fever didn't do well because it was... Too, too not too hard, but like it didn't onboard people well enough. Like it just sort of I mean, threw them in the deep end. It didn't it's like funny take them like, to the shallow Every mini game has like a tutorial beforehand where they go in depth like how to play each game. Like they yeah. give you, they have you repeat some of the actions like four or five times, and they don't let you proceed until you get the beat down. Yeah, and the beat always matches the final game. So I never thought difficulty was an issue. If anything, I thought the games were always relatively easy, just extremely fun. That's why I always really like them. But now they added like even easier versions of yeah. levels that I thought didn't really need easier versions. But I mean, on one hand, it's like uh, I mean, it's more like more more stuff to wade through before you get to the nitty gritty. But at the same time, um, they have so I mean, like I said, you go through six worlds of four games each, none of them repeating, or I think yeah, I think they're only, yeah, none of them repeat yet, and then you get to seven more worlds with four more games each. Some of them then start repeating, but not all of them. So you already have like, over 40 games. Like, it's ridiculous at that point. But then after you beat that, you go through two more worlds with four games each, and then you go through three more worlds with four games each and, like, three more remakes. So by the end of it, 
you do have um though your what you would have hit from a regular rhythm heaven you have 10 game you have 10 sections with four games each and 10 remixes plus an additional separate like eight right eight re- eight games that are just by themselves with no remix and I guess they have so many remakes. Like, usually by the end of Rhythm Heaven, you have one remix that has every game in it, like, back-to-back. Yeah. But this one has so many that they even include the repeats. Like, normally Rhythm Heaven just does one rhythm game to represent all of them. But this one does every single iteration of it. So you have three remixes that repeat. How how long does that take? I mean, it took, it took me a whole... It took no, no, me... I mean, the, the, specifically the, the Mega remix. Uh, the Mega oh. mix, if you will. Oh, no, well, that's it. They split it into three oh, because there's just so many. Um, I guess it's like comparable to the old. It's like two. Well, the old one was like I think like four, three, four minutes long. Mm. This one is like they have two two minute long ones and one three minute long. Ah, one. okay. You know, if you so, combine them together, you'd have a rhythm heaven mega mix. Yeah. I'm like the guy in the movie that says the name of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, so that's pretty much like the structure of the game. But right, which is quite different. <laughs> and every game, like, I guess, kind of had like a little gimmick, like the DS one. Oh, use the buttons, use the D pad or the A and B, the Game Boy Advance one. The mm. DS one was all tapping and flicking and then the Wii one was just using A and B B was on the back so sometimes you have to like pinch the Wiimote yeah this one goes back to Game Boy Advance with just D-pad and buttons but you can switch it to DS mode where you use touchscreen although you still have to hold it horizontally opposed to vertically yeah. like the actual but all the other games have been um yeah they, they were all made to do the 16 by 9 just like yeah yeah, so also, they got 3 ified and the oh. layering looks really nice. Sorry, I might oh, be jumping no, no. ahead in your oh, thoughts. Oh, no, 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 yeah, but... definitely. Like, that's, like I was saying, um, I remember when I said in the podcast, but it always felt like the Wii, like, it always felt like Rhythm Heaven Fever was meant to be a portable 3DS game, mm-hmm. but they just somehow never did. So these games, like, went, now that they're in 3D, it definitely shows, like, yep, this is how they were meant to be played. Yeah. But if you go the tapping route, there is no more flicking because it's just... Yeah, they just didn't want to program it into the every single game. Yeah, I guess because there's no button equivalent unless it's hold. Yeah, so you just tap and hold and then let go. So if you were to play some of the DS rhythm games where you would normally flick, now you just tap and let go, which makes it easier. Yeah. And there are some mini games where you have to alternate between the D-pad and the buttons, but now that you're just tapping, you could just tap, 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 tap instead of going back and forth, which makes it way easier. So I guess if you want an either experience, then go ahead and turn have the 3ds on mm-hmm. but i mean i guess but on top of that i guess if you want to i guess make it hard just leave it on the buttons but what i really liked about this specific um rhythm heaven is that usually after you beat a i guess a mini game they grade you with okay try again or superb but now mm-hmm. they included like i guess a specific score out of 100 that tells you pretty much exactly how accurate you were yeah and in the past i always thought i was like spot on perfect because oh i got the perfect um i always got the timing right but I guess what this is telling me is that I was always scoring like a, I don't know, like a B plus on almost every mini game, mm. and eventually I was able to get to the ninety. So basically, the touchscreen does little flashes. Like whenever you tap the screen or when you press a button, um, if you hit the beat dead on, it will be like a rainbow in the center. If you hit it too early, it will appear on the left side, and if you hit it too late, it will appear on the right side, and not as flashy and colorful. So with that, like, you kind of have an idea of just how well you're doing or how, I don't know, how bad you're doing. Right. And, you, and, and you can adjust yourself, like, mid-game, but by the end of it, I guess, like, if you play a game long enough, you'll know the song by heart, and then you'll just, like, get it all perfect. Yeah. But, I don't know, like, there's, yeah, this is a ton of games, and just, like, replaying them, like, you'll 
definitely visit them. Like, there's already enough replay value in itself just with the, like, with just the game without any of the extra modes. And I guess on top of the giving you, like, that very specific score, mm-hmm. they also added this star that just appears randomly. I guess it's not oh, yeah, random. The, it's the, always like, a special yeah, star special moment. Star. Like, that one, it doesn't appear randomly. It always appears, like, at a very specific point, but it, and it's normally the hardest beat to hit. And it's, often, the, it's often the last beat, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Which, because the last beat's like the ha at the end. Yeah, it's either the last one or, like, in some cases, um, it's the one where they have just, they have that one beat that's always offbeat, so they throw it on that one. And at first I thought, like, oh, I, I'm good at Rhythm Heaven. I'll probably hit the beat as I'm playing, and I won't have to worry about it. But sure enough, like, I didn't get it every time, and I would have to go back and play the game. So even though I got, a like, a 90 on it, and it has the superb and it's in golden, I still have to go back and play the star. Yeah. But then when the star is coming up and you know it's coming up, you get more time. You're like, okay, I don't want to miss it. And then for some reason, that makes you miss it more. Yeah. There's one nice thing about star, though, is it kind of, the animation for it as the star moment approaches, like, it kind of hones oh, in on itself. So if you need the visual cue, that actually helps. Like, there are a lot of times I'd be like, oh, I'm really nervous, I'm going to miss <laughs> it, but I just wait for the right moment on the visuals. And I'm like, bam, mm. there it is. Yeah, that visual cue definitely helps, but... There it are, also throw you off. There are a few games, um, like, there's a, the Choir Boys where you have the three little right. boys. I think, like, there are some games where I feel like the visual cue kind of throws you off sometimes, too, because, I don't know, I guess you kind of have to ignore the music, but you kind of have to watch it, so it's, like, an yeah, interesting it's mental battle. It's definitely tricky, which is, I mean, their intention. So, like, it definitely added just, like, more depth just to the games overall, but the one thing that I felt like was always missing from Rhythm Heaven, because every Rhythm Heaven I've had so far, I always, like, went for the perfect. After a while... Um, they challenge you to do a perfect run of the game, and you get a perfect, you get a little medal, you get a little nice P next to the game, and there. Once you do it to all of them, you're kind of done with Rhythm Heaven. Yeah. So I always felt like there was something missing, and they finally added something called, like, Challenge. Challenge mode. And you could do it solo or with multiplayer. And it's definitely encouraged to do it with people, but I'll touch on why that's probably not always a good idea either. So basically, um, they have your replay all the old games at first and it's split into three worlds the first world kind of keeps them at the same tempo and they group them by theme so like oh here is monkeying around where it's three games back to back featuring monkeys and each game has three different um i guess challenge modes like that they would just randomly put on it you either have to beat the game with a set number of lives so it'll be three two or even one uh-huh. or you have to have a certain score. So usually the score is what you would need to get a superb. But later on, they make you score at least an 85 or a 90, which basically means that on top of not messing up once, you have to get the majority of those beats dead on in that super sparkly mode, which is pretty hard enough itself. Right. And then the last one, which is the most interesting one, is the Don't Get Eaten challenge, where you pretty much have to, as you're playing, and it looks cool because in 3D, the screen is shrinking, like, it's just constantly shrinking the entire time until mm-hmm. it's so small that it gets eaten by this monster that just gets revealed in the background. And because it's in 3D, like, you always see the depth in that screen no matter how small it is. Right. But pretty much to prevent getting eaten, you have to you have to hit the beat on that dead-on note again where everything sparkles on the touchscreen. Yeah. And when you do that, the screen grows a little bit. So you're pretty much just fighting that the whole time. And there are some mini-games. And this is actually where the... Simplified versions of the original mini games kind of end up being harder for these ones because since there are less beats to hit, there are less. There's less room for error, and the longer you go without 
hitting a beat, the smaller the screen shrinks. So if you miss one, you're going to most likely lose. And basically, as you go on, like, the first world is kind of it's pretty easy. But the second world and the third world, they up the tempo, like, two times faster than three times faster to the point where games that feature lyrics, they sound like chipmunks. Mm-hmm. And it's just going so fast, and you have those things on top of you to worry about, and it's really challenging, like, really, really hard. And I guess the problem with um, playing by yourself is that if you're playing by yourself, it costs you five coins to play each game, and you get coins by scoring well in the single-player mode. Mm-hmm. But if you play with friends, they're free. But if you play with a friend, the monster one um, becomes dependent on both on everybody that's playing with you. So oh, the if, co-op. Yeah, the co-op. Oh, so if you play by yourself, you pay money. If you play with co-op, it's free. And so instead of scoring an eighty-five, your team has to score like a hundred and sixty or something like that. Or the monster one, if someone doesn't hit the beat dead on, but someone else does, it won't make the screen grow as much as it would if it was you by yourself. So sure. both. So it's um, I don't know, it's definitely pretty fun, but you have to know that your team is pretty, I don't know, good with the beat. Right. So in other words, you never play with me is the takeaway. Oh, we could try. All right. I mean, it's definitely fun, but um, and I guess like for, I don't know, completing these challenges to get rhythm balls, and rhythm balls are what you use to unlock twenty more games, like mini games from past games, some of which are. Some well, some of which were games that I thought like, oh, why didn't they have this game like Flockstep or the Karate Guy or the Monkey Watch one from right. Fever? But there they were. Like you just have to unlock them, and you get like maybe like one rhythm ball, two rhythm balls at a time mm-hmm. per game. And these games cost like ten rhythm balls to unlock, ten, twelve, and there's like over twenty of them. So you're gonna need to get like over a hundred of them. Yeah. So it's gonna take a while to unlock them, but every time you also do the one of those perfect challenges whenever they randomly pop up. You get one rhythm ball for that, so I mean they help you out there. Mm-hmm. But it'll take a while. But this, yeah, long story short, there's a ton of games. I mean, on top of the, I don't know, like sixty or whatever from the normal game, now you have these twenty more. Then I guess the last part um, of the game that just it's just kind of nice. Um, they bring back the cafe, which is you could just talk to this dog for some flavor text. Just tells you some random stuff like, oh, I like to listen to heavy metal. Not many people know that, but it's right, cool, right. right? And then you have this goat that you just feed turnips. Every every time you feed a turnip, a meter goes up. And every time the meter fills up, the, and every time you it fills up, he grows a level. Every 10 levels, you get a little badge. It's just, that's his sole purpose? Yeah. That's, that's what I love about Rhythm Heaven. There's so much random stuff in there. Like, even with the, like, the monster eating the screen or like this... They just they just went crazy with this game. Like I just love yeah, how yeah, random yeah. everything is. It's funny. And those badges, um, they just it's just a badge that represents those characters that you meet during the story mode, and it just tells you like, oh, this is his name. This is what he likes. This is what he dislikes. Like random right. stuff. It's like trophies, kind of. And then yeah, basically. And then you have your street pass, which there is street pass. So if you activate it, I guess it just automatically has your me and whatever mini game you play the most of. Uh huh. But you also play against AIs in case you don't have anyone to street pass with. Mm-hmm. And those also give you coins and turnips to use in the other goat mode. And then you have the shop where you buy your games and your music and your little trinkets, which just have more flavor text for each mini game. So, like for the baseball one, I'll have like the a little rice cake. And oh, because in the mini game there's a rice cake in the mini game, and then it just gives you a backstory or context to these random games, which are really random. 
So but, not only is everything random, but it has lore to back it all up. There's yeah. canon for it's all like, these Oh, this was my lunch, but I ended up tossing it into the vacuum of space or something. Hmm. And then um, I guess the last part of this museum, of this cafe, there's a museum with a courier. And right there are the achievements. There's like a medal section. And those are the achievements like, oh, get a perfect in all the games, get a gold in all the games, make the goat reach level 50 or what sure. have you. Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff like to collect. Like, this is incentives. And then in the museum itself, that's where you get that nice grid bait, that nice grid from all the old Rhythm Heaven games. So if you just want to look at a menu and just pick your games instead of going through all the flashy cutscenes of the other ones and just go to the museum. Albeit you have to go through all the flashy cutscenes once to get through the whole right. game, and then you're pretty much just going to play Rhythm Heaven from the museum the entire time, which is where I am just doing now. Where you're playing over 20 hours in a week. Yeah. Oh, no, that's no. You can actually change the the noise from... The noise, <laughs> the voices from English to Japanese whenever you want. For the music too, right? Yep, for yeah. the music. So well, that's the first time they've done that in a rhythm, haven't they? Yeah, I believe. Which is pretty cool. I mean, I'll definitely keep it in English, but it was nice um, switching it to Japanese because I played the, like I said, I played Rhythm Heaven Fever in Japanese before it, right, it was right, here. So it was kind of nostalgic, but definitely prefer the English. And, I mean, I guess I just to wrap it up, I'll just like mention just some specific meaning game highlights. Just um, for the new games... So, well, yeah, the Sumo Brothers one, the Lumberjacks, and Cat Clap, those are definitely my stand-out stand favorite ones. Must plays. Yeah, especially the Sumo Brothers one. Like, there's always a minigame in every Rhythm Heaven that just has a... It's just so weird and outlandish. You're just like, this is just weird, but it's so catchy. Like, the music is just catchy. Sure. This is just two Sumo Brothers, like, slapping each other, jumping, and then it has, like, a weird... I don't know, like... It's not techno, but it's, like, a weird, like auto-tune, singing, I don't know, uh-huh. weird. It kind of reminds me of the the wrestler from Rhythm Heaven Fever, where it's just like, the minigame is just someone giving a wrestler an interview, and that's the minigame. Right. Uh, I remember that one. That's not the da 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 Yep, yeah. that one, yeah. And they brought that one back, too. But my favorite one that they brought back was also, like, Flopstick from the Wii U, the one with all the birds, and they're just walking. And it makes a great wallpaper 3D. for a computer. Oh, yeah, definitely. And probably the one that uses the 3D the best is the one where... You're just hitting baseballs like right at the screen. There's two. Oh yeah, I that one. That's early in the game. I played that one. Oh no, well there's two baseball ones. Never mind. I mean the one that, like <laughs> there's one that you're just like hitting baseballs like back to back to back to back like at a fa- in fast succession. But the one that I'd want to hit monkey. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah we're talking about the same one. Yeah, that one. Because yeah. there's yeah the other one's cool too. But this one like the balls like go directly at your face, and yeah. then there's a part where like it even cracks the screen, and it's great. That one was cool. I really like that one too. And yeah, and then the, just the frog hop one from the 3D, from I mean from the DS. I mean, it's just great. Right. Hearing the song, the rock and roll. I mean, a lot of these songs are they're very campy and cheesy, but that's kind of what makes them great. Except there's one that <laughs> yes, I pointed out. Please, that, that do I point, mention this one that I pointed out to Jason and oh man, it's this one's just kind of cringy. It just kind of I don't know. It didn't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can pull did it you, up. Did you have Do you have words for it? Uh, I don't have words. I have a it. Did you text it to me or did you, you well, text I mean, it to me? I could literally just go to... Yeah, but I could just play it off my phone right now. Oh, wait. Maybe you didn't. I... Great podcasting again. There, I have it right here. Go. Right, here's the song. This is real, people. This is in a video game. Wait, what's the speaker? All right, we have to wait for it to start, obviously. This intro is nice. Just, rhythm just, heaven. Just, we can play it louder off my phone.
Again, this is real people. Yeah. Oh, that's enough. You get the idea. You get the idea. If you get the game, you have to go through that. It's fine. I mean, it's rhythm heaven, but I mean, I definitely highly recommend this game, especially if you never played. Especially if you never played any game in the series. I mean, between this Ace Attorney Five and whatever, like, and just the fact that we're getting well, that I got this game and Ace Attorney Five in one year. It's already kind of crazy for me. And then there's Monster Hunter, and then there's The Real Time Dilemma. It's like it's a, year a really great games. 3DS year. Which is fine, because at the start of you're like, wow, there's nothing for 3DS. And <laughs> now here we are. Yep. I will say, as someone who is, I guess, barely, more so than I thought, barely scratched the surface of Rhythm Heaven, I'm also really enjoying it. Yeah. Those are my impressions. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky start with the story. The story then... thing threw me in a loop, but I gotta give credit to the treehouse. Like it is fun to read. Like oh, yeah. it's really I mean, slow paced, but like the re- the writing's really good. It's very self aware. No, yeah, I mean it's, it's 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 yeah, it's funny. I mean, if if you're in for the ride, like it's fine, but it's just, just more like know what to expect. I'm just yeah, like following the series, you're just like so used to like the grid, man. You just want to yeah. play the games, but then it's like, no, I just want to play the games. <laughs> Please stop. Telling me about how much you love donuts, but yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I, I'm still in that story mode, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I have anything I could possibly add except that like, this is one of those games that like you will it will probably be overlooked by a lot of people, and it deserves to be overlooked by no one. Like it, everyone should. There's a demo. If you'll know if you like it, go to eShop and download a demo. I'm pretty sure you're gonna buy the whole game. Like it is. It's one of those things that like. It's pure Nintendo. It's the quirkiness yeah. of Nintendo. It's the randomness yeah. of Nintendo. It's the it's random playfulness Nintendo. <laughs> of Nintendo. It is... If our podcast was a video game, if Random Dell was a video game, actually yeah. it would be nothing like this. It would probably be a statistician game. But if it was if it was the name of our game, of our podcast, yeah. And because is, of like how bite-sized all the games are, I would, I would argue that it's like one of the best like portable games like, that you could possibly have on your 3DS. Yeah. It's just so easy to just pick it up like for like a few minutes and you'll have a blast in those few minutes and then stop quite or, frankly or you could binge it too it's like it works both ways quite frankly it, nintendo's looking for more games to bring to smartphones yeah this would like this would fit perfectly with smartphones yeah. but um i don't know honestly i would welcome that more rhythm heaven yeah yeah but yeah don't don't miss out on this one because like we don't want nintendo to never make another one ever again because of i mean we're sales. not even getting a physical release which i would have liked because i like having all yeah. my I, I held off other. on buying it for two days. Europe did. But yeah, but that's not until October. Getting, We're getting yeah, it now. That's true. But, but then again, like, Japan did get it a long time ago. Yeah. And I could have spoiled it for myself, but I actually did a good job of not looking at anything beyond the first world. Nice. Like, there was so, I was surprised by so many new mini games. I thought I had seen them all, but that yeah. was an awesome surprise. So. Yeah, it's funny because it was billed as like, oh, a best of, but yeah. a lot of new. And you think I would have, because I pretty much did that for the Wii one. And obviously there were so many games that I was like, I kind of wouldn't have liked the clap ones to, right? You know, which they 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 come out three times to have been so prominently there. I would have liked some other ones, but I mean, overall, they did pick a good selection. Yeah, nitpicks here and there, but and again, people, it's worth. If you're unsure, go get the demo. Like if if Andrew didn't convince you with that analysis, which pretty much makes it sound great, go get the demo. Like there's no reason not to play this game. We don't want to wilt on the vine here. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Anything else you want to say about Rhythm Heaven or? No, you said it's a great so game. we have just filled an entire my favorite 3ds game at wow this point. after only a week maybe that that right there is probably the best endorsement you can give it it might be hard for it to top it's attorney 5 because that one also realized so it's at least top two that's a good endorsement yeah. i haven't gotten far enough to decide that yet but oh. <laughs> i will one day but no what i was gonna say is you know what's crazy is we just filled a whole 
episode, a long episode, with just stuff from E3, and we're not done with E3. I had the opportunity to play um, a bunch of upcoming indie games, so next episode, in two weeks' time on July 10th, when we come back, we are doing the Nindy episode, so to speak. I will be sharing my hands-on with Shantae, Half-Genie Hero, with Severed, which was just announced from uh, Drinkbox Games, maker of Guacamelee, and Azure Striker Gunvolt 2. I'm also going to have my full impressions of Mighty Number no. 9. What a game. What a game. I haven't started playing it yet, but man, so much attention it's received in the last week. And the nice thing about waiting a little while, like to share it in two weeks, kind of like we did this, it lets us like separate the hype and the buzz or the negative hype and buzz from the reality of the game so we can actually look at more like we're not caught up in the moment so I kind of am glad we're waiting on it but we'll have all that next episode yeah, on July better 10th. than nothing right yeah but yeah 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 <laughs> I can't believe they actually said that on the stream but uh yeah so we'll have the infamous mind of nine and those impressions in two weeks time um make sure you don't miss that episode uh by following us on twitter at ram nintendo you can also follow me and angel individually on twitter to hear our thoughts on gaming and stuff or to go look at my insane time-lapse video of the Zelda line, 15 seconds long, at high speed. And it's still a big line. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JSR7. You can find Andrew on Twitter at Wero. Meverse, I am Jason R. Meverse, he is still Wero, which is W-E-I-R-O, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And yeah, that pretty much does it. Um, I think the takeaway from this E3 is there is more to play this year than we thought there would be. Like, Yep. immediately more to play like go get rhythm heaven we're not kidding like we're just gonna fade it out with this message of go get rhythm heaven.